Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. What's up, Dina? Hey, Zach. How's it going? It's going pretty well. How's your day? Uh, it's a good day today. Yeah. You introduced me to something new today. Oh, I did. I got you hooked. <laughs> yeah. I got you hooked. Day, like, day one of forever. That's right. <laughs> Some of you might be already hooked. Some of you might be sick of it already, seeing these like green and yellow squares populating your Twitter feed, perhaps. I hadn't heard of it until today. Yeah, it's like quietly swiffering the nation. Ooh, swift, oh, man! I remember when I first discovered the swiffer. Yes. So like at like a P and E, there's like a right, like at their someone, was doing, someone was doing like a demo, and it just like blew my mind. And I bought like six of them <laughs> for presents because if you bought like five, you got one you for the, free. Right. I like dropped a bunch off at random people's houses. I was like, this is going to change you. And we all lived at like home with our parents at this time. Yeah. So it was like, go clean, go clean your parents' house. Yeah. Swiffer. It's funny when those things that are like made for TV, like products yeah. become like kind of regular yeah, household yeah. products. I guess but I feel like they're terrible. Like I, I think, uh, I think my mom had one for a while, but then it's like, it's so much waste because you yeah. like swiffer the floor and then you like throw that little cloth away and you swiffer the floor like yeah as opposed to just like bending over with a dustpan <laughs> and like picking it up it's like we're so fucking lazy yeah. that we can't just like <laughs> pick up our dust we gotta have some wet thing to like scoop it up that we could throw away anyway oh, goodness okay anyways i distracted from how what you yes brought into my life today the wordle Wordle. Wordle of it's the a day. Wordle. Man, if you haven't played it, just uh, just type into the Google machine Wordle or like Wordle of the day and it'll bring you to this website. And it's kind of this like, I don't know, like old school but new technological game. And the thing that I love about it is like so simple and you get one puzzle a day. It's not like an app or like a site where you can just like keep burning through and playing and like waste your life playing it it's like one one little puzzle a day and some people do it like before they get out of bed yep. some people wait until like it expires at midnight wherever yeah. you are 
some people wait until like the very last you know few minutes to try and get it in before the end of the day uh, and it's amazing it's this like little word puzzle you get six tries to guess a five letter word and there's no hints it's not like the hint is like a person place or thing you just you just gotta enter a five letter word and see what you get and it'll tell you if you get like the right letter and it'll tell you if you get the right letter in the right place right by going green anyway it's fun you should you should play it it's so, like a, so go google wordle yeah. isn't that a tongue twister google wordle right not sponsored <laughs> not, spon- not sponsored by wordle <laughs> and and don't spoil it like yeah. some people who are new to wordle will like screenshot their successful thing and post it but that's like a big word all faux pas. Yeah, yeah don't don't you, give the answer away. You got to hit the share button when you complete the puzzle, and it will share your result, show that you got it, but it won't show the words. It'll just show green green boxes. So it'll show if you get it like on the third attempt. I got it on the fourth attempt. Yeah, it's and good. I was uh, I was pretty impressed for my first time because I'm, uh, uh, you know, to be honest, I'm not the best puzzle riddle kind of uh yeah problem solver word problem solver kind of guy they usually stump me so you got it you got it now i gotta do day two i know keep that streak alive well that's the thing it like it gives you the streak it gives you some little stats at the end of it so in case just like doing it and having the habit of like kind of having this fun game wasn't enough you you can go flex you can flex i'm on a 30-day Wordle Street. Right. Yeah. You know? So it's pretty cool. It's pretty it's pretty cool. 222 puzzles so far. And uh, I think I think uh, I'm on a pretty good streak right now. Nice. I'm not gonna lie. It's not the best. Wordle master over here. But I haven't uh, let's just say this. Since I started playing, I haven't got one wrong. Damn, smarty pants over here. But it's been close a few times. I've been like down to the wire on my sixth attempt being like, oh, it could be this. I'd be stressing. Or it could be this because you kind of know it could be like this word or this word. And then stressor. High stress. I got a couple uh, what's good for this week. Let's hear it. Been watching some television, you know. Mm -hmm. Always good. Watched a couple docs and uh, two of them inspired me. Like in the most immense ways, uh, 14 peaks. Have you watched that one? Yes. Oh my goodness. When I first watched that, I was like, this guy, this, this, this is like his mantra and accomplishment and subsequently like subtitle to his movie is like what I love. Yeah. It's basically your, your, your motto. Oh, what does he say? Well, the, yeah, it's, uh, 14 peaks. Nothing is impossible. I love that. I was like, come on, let's go. Can you give us kind of the 101 on on 14 Peaks? Well, yeah. So it's uh, it's like a documentary. You can watch it on Netflix, uh, and it's it's really kind of like a story of human triumph and just like overcoming insane odds. So it follows this guy uh, Nims, right? Nims die, and he's like a legendary climber, and he tries to summit all of the 14 peaks that like go above the quote unquote death zone. So they're like, whatever, what, 8,000 8, or 8,500 meters or something. Like yeah. That. So like the, the ones that people will literally like maybe do two or three in a lifetime or even just one, like doing one is an incredible accomplishment. And he sets out to do 14 peaks and what was the what was the time? It was like a relatively short time. It was like just over six months. Yeah. And there one person there there'd only been one person to previously accomplish this and he did it over like seventeen years or yeah, something like that. It was years to and, do it. And Nems did it in just over six months. It's crazy. 
It's unbelievable. Yeah. And it's just like his overall demeanor and positivity and it's just so inspiring. And I, I also loved like Ryan uh, and myself, my business partner, the juice truck. We, we spent some time in Nepal mm-hmm. prior to launching and went to Everest Base Camp and did the Annapurna Circuit and all this. And we didn't do any peaks or anything like that. But, um, you know, kind of immersed ourselves in the climbing culture and the climbing lore and history while we're there. And and um, it's sad to say that the majority of these heroic tales are, are s- centered around these Western travelers that are supported by the Nepalese and the Sherpas. Right. And... Um, you know, they become the heroes of the, the stories, but the Nepalese uh, people are, are the real heroes. They're the they're climbers that get everybody to the top. And uh, it's, you know, it's their country and their land and their history. And uh, they've been climbing these mountains for, you know, for their entire history. Yeah. So to celebrate uh, Nims and his crew are all Nepalese and Sherpas, like to have them as the heroes is just so great because they've been the heroes all along. the whole time yeah. yeah well in some ways it kind of it's reflected in like how badass it was that they did it in such a yeah such a short amount of time like unbelievable without like and with tons of adversity like this is not this wasn't just like some easy thing where it was just a matter of like you know some logistics of sorting it out to to get them done in a, in, in the short amount of time but it was like really and they were like rescuing people yeah. along the way, and like they oh. would, even though they had this lofty, unbelievable quest that they're on. If there was human suffering or people needed support along the way, like they didn't sacrifice real people yeah. for the sake of their project. They yeah. put people first, yeah, and still accomplished. I know unbelievable world records. Yeah, yeah. Which is very, very inspiring. Very cool. So be sure to check it out. Yeah, I love that one. I put it on my IG stories and I was like, best movie ever. Yeah. I want to watch it again. Yeah. It was so good. It was very good. I really want to get back to Nepal and back to those mountains. I don't know if I have any desire to like peak any of these, summit any of these mountains. Yeah. Um, Like I'm more of a, you know. Base camp. Base camp kind of guy. (laughs) More of a basic base camp kind of guy. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah with my mountain equipment co-op and right you know um but i'd love to just like the community and culture there is just like the most loving uh welcoming positive culture and it's just uh kind of changes how you how you see things like i remember just a quick story before we get into what this week's podcast is about uh we like connected really deeply with um the the trekking agency that we're working with and we went to their their home hometown in the Gorka Valley. It was called like District Seven or something like that in the Gorka Valley. And um nobody spoke English there. Yeah. There wasn't electricity, there wasn't uh running water or anything. There were it was in washrooms. Oh man. Um like and and for many of them we were like some of the first white people, especially for the kids that they'd seen. So it was a bit of like a circus, but the conversations we shared with these people, we would, you know, people were so excited and so hospitable to host us. One funny thing, they heard that we liked kheer, we liked rice pudding. So oh, yeah, yeah. Everywhere we went for dinner, like the main course would be rice pudding. So we had like, I think we had like over 10 straight days of rice pudding. Um, but we would 
most of the people didn't speak English and we'd have dinner or lunch with them and we'd have the most amazing conversations just through like gestures and yeah. eye, eye contact and smiles and like laughter and, and yeah. sharing food and like I remember Ryan and I like had never like laughed or smiled that much and there was like we were just <laughs> sharing a human experience and that was it just kind of like captured the beauty of the Nepalese culture mm. and just how loving and wel- welcoming they are like we go to this community no running water no electricity no bathrooms to us that's like what we would define as poverty yeah you know but these were like the happiest most welcoming people we'd ever encountered and they were sharing everything with us you yeah know? they were making like lavish meals and like you know bringing you know all the ceremonial stuff out and it was like whatever they had they wanted to share mm. and uh and we were strangers to them right and i think that just really captures the overall community of that country yeah that's awesome so There's, that so that movie kind of lit me up just seeing it again brought you back to those experiences yeah oof i got to go man I let's go, go together there. yeah let's do it a little more good hits Ooh. the road 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 trip live podcast from live. base camp <laughs> yeah. I think there's Wi-Fi there now. <laughs> Probably, yeah. <laughs> okay, so that one, and uh, after that, I kind of got on a kick and I watched The Alpinist. Have you watched that? I one? I haven't seen this one yet. Okay, I know I gotta watch. I it. won't. I'll just give a little. I know there's yet. like a spoiler kind of like ending. Yeah. I know that much, but yeah. I don't know. I don't know what it. It's a local guy, yeah. from Squamish. Oh yeah, I think he's from Fraser Valley originally, but lives okay. in Squamish, and uh, is just like squashing all these like free climbing records yeah, and uh, doesn't, he just does it for the pure love of climbing. Like he doesn't like record them or tell people that he's doing them. Uh, Alex Arnold, the guy from free solo is like, this guy is the craziest best climber in the world. And like he's high praise. He's beating Alex Arnold's records. Yeah. Um, amazing doc. Most of it's filmed here in Squamish and BC. Beautiful. Got to check it out. That one's on prime. Okay. Okay. So, should we talk about our guest this week? Let's get into it. Okay. Let's get from the from the climbing walls, from the peaks of Everest into the metaverse. The metaverse. I, w- I wonder what base camp in the metaverse is going to be like. Yeah. All right. So, we sat down with Nick Lowe. Nick Lowe is a visionary thinker. Yes. Um, he originally founded Physio Room and is one of the owners of Myo Detox here in Vancouver, all about future-proofing your body. Uh, he's, you know, very much been on the cutting edge of of how he approaches business for a long time, and he took that those ideologies and uh, has evolved them, and is now leading the wave of Web three. You know, we had Web one, Web two. So, so Web one would kind of be like when the internet first started. Web two would kind of be like Facebook, Instagram. Now he's, uh, you know, fully immersed himself in Web3, which is the decentralized version of the internet. And decentralized kind of means that there's no central entity and there's mm-hmm. op- ideally equal opportunity for, you know, everybody at stake. That's right. So he started Odd Future, a Web3 agency that's helping businesses uh, take their take their platform to the Web3 um you know, level up to the Web three, and that's going to be the future. It's, I mean, it is the present, but it's it's happening quick. You know, you're seeing brand after brand after brand entering Web three or the metaverse, as, yeah. as you suggested. So he's 
he's helping businesses adapt and evolve to to web three and uh he's he's doing really exciting things so yeah, yeah. odd future is kind of his central agency he's got uh a uh, project right now called Lucky's, uh, which is kind of celebrating the Lunar New Year and um, kind of some of these traditional um, Chinese um, lunar characters uh, from, from you know, every year has got a different lunar character. Uh, he's got a lot of exciting things happening. So Yeah, he is, uh, he is a mover and a shaker for yep. sure. He's a runner too, just like runner. Uh, you know, yes. can't, can't have someone else <laughs> On without talking about running. So good. But even like his story winds from kind of like upbringing and athletics and how that got him into, you know, basketball and some of the culture and physio. And anyway, it's just like an interesting story that that winds its way to where he is now. And the through line, I mean, obviously is Nick and his personality and how he shows up, but just the way that he's so intentional about, you know, crafting moments and experiences in life to to have gotten where he is now and just thinking about that idea of into the future, right? Which is what he had with Mayo and is kind of leaning into fully now, right? With all of this work of like kind of this world that is just arriving, but will be arriving like more fully (laughs) really every moment. So it's quite a, it was a really dynamic, fun conversation and it kicks off in like a super exciting way too. Oh, absolutely. So uh, maybe before you, you dive into the podcast, if you want to check out what Nick's doing, uh, look up Odd Future. Mm-hmm. Um, check out, look up Lucky's NFT. Uh, that's launching, I think, like today. Uh, super cool project. If you're curious or wanting to learn about Web3 and NFTs, you know, Odd Future website's a great place to start. Yep. And he's got a Discord where he kind of like shares a lot of how to 101 uh and it's just like a great community an online community connecting and sharing and like sharing success yeah as a group all right anything else dina oh let's enter the metaverse let's enter Ooh, exciting oh i'd also say check out ready player one because i feel like that movie and that book kind of like was a bit of a prophecy for uh, what's happening with web3 mm-hmm. now all right let's go Bu- buckle up <laughs> All right, recording, rolling. We're, we're here. We're here. We're we're high off the uh, the rush of trying to mint a NFT. Man, <laughs> that was fun. That was that was wild. That was wild. This is kind of like my first experience. You know, seeing it. Did we see it happen? Like it happened so quickly. I don't know. I don't know what the, it was what done were before seeing. it started. Yeah, yeah, but uh, wild. <laughs> so wild. we'll we'll rewind it back before we get fully into nfts but what what were we just trying to mint there nick what was the significance of that project so that was in adidas nft collection yeah and adidas obviously being a big brand big running brand but also big brand i think it's adidas originals actually oh yeah which is kind of like a streetwear yeah Yeah. kind of lifestyle streetwear brand um and they yes just i think it was like yesterday or two days ago just announced that they were going to drop this nft collection they teased it for a while Probably yes. the last two, three months, I would say. Um, and whenever big brands drop NFT projects, people get very hyped. And a lot of non-NFT people get in the space very quickly. Because yeah. it's now it's Adidas fans, not necessarily NFT fans. Um, which which I'm both. <laughs> I happen to be both. So I was definitely wanting to buy one of these NFTs. And 
you guys both watch me fail. <laughs> <laughs> I got a video. We can, we can yeah. throw that up. Everybody can watch you fail. <laughs> but I mean, okay. you, you failed, yeah. but you didn't even get a chance. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The, the bots of Web3 found their way into that Adidas metaverse <laughs> and uh, it didn't even get to minting. We'll explain what all this is. So you got to stay with us. But uh, yeah. It, you, you didn't get it. You didn't get a fighter's chance. No, and it's funny because I I grew up in the sneaker world, so I, I've taken a lot of L's in my life. Yeah, in the kind of sneaker um, botting world. Yeah, and for whatever reason, I don't win these very often. In yeah. fact, almost never. But I still keep trying. Yeah. It's like that little sliver of hope just makes yeah, you yeah. go, "Yeah, I'm going to try. I think this might be the day." And, yeah. Um, yeah, it's funny because I, I don't think you can actually beat the bots, but yet for some reason you gotta I, try, gotta try. Yeah, that's right. the evolution. Be the bot. Be the bot. <laughs> be, be the bot. Channel the bot. Channel. I am bot. <laughs> I am bot. Nick bot. Oh, Nick man. low. Nick bot. Not yeah. not today. Today I was not the bot, but that's okay. That's all right. It was it was a wild wild experience. So let's talk about it, man. NFTs. This is a whole. This is a whole thing. Um, we want to, we want to get into that. And so as Zach had said, like stick around cause this conversation maybe is like going to be like a one-on-one yes. kind of getting us, uh, getting us primed. If you are already someone who lives in the metaverse and knows, then this, this episode is for you. Like, yeah, if, uh, if not, we want to get to know the man, the man behind, uh, yeah. the failed NFT bid from today, but the <laughs> successful other ones and all of your other hats that you've worn and wear kind of throughout your life. So Perfect. Yeah. You want to, you got a direction to kick us off here, Zach. All right. Well, let's just, let's rewind it back to the origins and then we'll kind of build up to, uh, you know, your avatar where you live your life now <laughs> in the metaverse. Um, but let's start with the analog, the Nick Lowe that grew up, you grew up in Vancouver? Yes. East fan? Or I guess uh, like central, I mean, maybe I call it, was, it central. I, I say East fan a lot and yeah. always bothers like the true East fan guys. So yeah. I'm not going to say East fan. I'm kind of in between central, central. 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 Yeah, so mm-hmm. Might've felt like East fan back then. The, the boundaries have changed. The boundaries have changed a lot. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So you grew up in Vancouver. What, what was, uh, what was young Nick like? What were you like as a, uh, as a kid? Uh, I mean, very introverted. Yeah. Very, very introverted. I grew up just kind of spending a lot of time by myself, to be honest. I I have a brother and he was kind of the cool hip kid, Uh, played a lot of sports. I was the opposite of that actually. So in a lot of ways, um, it's funny because it like, as we're adults now, it's kind of flipped in some ways. He's still very social, obviously, but, um, back in those old days, I was definitely very introverted, played a lot of video games, uh, studied a lot. Yep. So I was very book smart. Um, you know, I was one of those like kind of geeky straight A type of kids, very good at math. Yep. <laughs> I was in advanced calculus oh, for, nice. for a long time. So, um, <coughs> yeah, I think growing up, I was just like, to be fair, I think I was a bit of a loner. Yeah. Um, didn't have too many friends. I spent so much time by myself that, um, I probably had a bunch of imaginary friends, to be honest. Mm. Uh, and then my brother was probably my best friend growing up. Uh, he, I really looked up to him and wanted to be a lot like him. Yep. He was kind of the popular kid. I think he was like the athlete of the year in high school in grade 10, grade 11, probably even grade 12. So everything he did was like, I just tried really hard to emulate. Mm-hmm. And he was a big basketball player. And I naturally went into basketball. So 
grade nine, ten. I tried out both years, didn't make it. Uh, practiced really hard in grade ten that summer. Lost probably forty pounds that summer. Wow! And just practiced. I had fortunate enough to have a really janky uh, hoop in my backyard at yeah. that time, and I just practiced shooting nonstop. Uh, this is summer of grade ten. And then made the senior team in grade 11, grade 12. And I think that formed my identity, actually. Okay. Wow, yep. that, that's not very typical to not make the school basketball team until grade 11, senior, 12. Because that's yeah. usually like the, the cream has risen by that point. Totally. And the, like, the guys that have excelled have, you know, kind of staked their claim through grade 8, 9, 10. Guys or gals. Yep, exactly. So I think, um, I think that puts you on the level of like Michael Jordan, doesn't it? Yeah, because Michael <laughs> Jordan also got cut from yeah. his like what grade ten basketball team or so, something. Totally. So the legend goes, similar skill set. <laughs> when you guys become, <laughs> when you guys become friends, yes. you guys can bond over that. There you go. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> so you make the team grade 11, 12, and you said that kind of set your identity. Yep. Uh, can you kind of unpack that a little bit? Like how how did that change kind of your tapestry of who you are I, th I think in a couple ways i think number one um being part of sports team gives you a really big sense of belonging mm -hmm. um i you know ended up carrying a basketball everywhere i went i was one of those guys that you know wore jerseys to class yeah um you know always had a duffel bag with my gear it was like part of the identity mm -hmm. you know i might play shoot around at lunchtime. Maybe I shot around in the morning. So I just always had that identity yeah. and I liked it. I, I kind of uh, embraced it a lot. I ended up being a big basketball fan, started watching a lot of basketball, played a lot of NBA fantasy, uh, just, you know, your typical sports junkie type of guy. Um, but basketball was number one, gave me some level of identity. And then number two, it, it brought out the comp competition side. And yep. for, you know, when I started, I was on the bench, you know, just like everyone who's joins a team for the first time type of thing. And yeah. I just kept practicing and practicing and practicing. And, I, you know, I had this competitive streak where I just wanted to be the best. I wanted to be a starter. I yep. wanted to average, you know, 25 points a game. And I grew up watching like Michael Jordan and, and, uh, I wanted to be like him, yeah. right? Be so like Mike. be like Mike. Be like Mike. <laughs> um, so it, it, I think it set a lot of my behaviors in terms of working hard, uh, also practicing and just not, not really giving up because I, I don't think I was naturally athletic. I didn't grow up like tall or skinny or you know jump higher than anyone else type of thing yeah. so i always felt like i had to work extra hard yeah in in if i wanted to excel so um naturally i i did a lot of that practiced after practice type of thing you know? yeah uh and then ended up making the starting team in grade 12 which i was really proud of i ended up breaking breaking something so i had to sit out for half the year but uh, just that accomplishment <laughs> i think set me on this journey where I really felt com number one, very competitive. Um, again, growing up introverted, um, being a bit of a loner, I was picked on a lot in school, mm -hmm. definitely in high school. So when I stepped on the court, it's like you had this new identity, yeah. right? Where, you know, I'm, I now I'm defined by my stats. I'm defined by 
the the number of buckets I score yeah, on Defiant. Yeah, yeah. People forget, you know, that Nick's that quiet guy that that, yeah. that just sits by himself. Yeah. Um, so I think in a lot of ways it, it kind of made me feel like, wow, okay, cool. Like if I work hard and I uh, put put the effort into it, um, I can kind of create something and feel good about myself. So basketball was definitely the first time I felt like I was, you know, I had a bit of an identity. Yeah. Right. Because people don't wear around like the straight A student identity very no. often in high school. No, there's no jersey <laughs> for that. No. no, in fact, like they, you te- you tend to hide that. Yeah. Know? Right. If I got the the best grade or the best score in a test, I wouldn't tell anyone. Yeah. Because it was almost uncool. Right. Right. Because yeah. everyone's like, "What did you get?" Ah, seventies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You downplay. You downplay for it. sure. Yeah. Right. Whereas in basketball, like, you upplay. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah. Yeah. How much you score on? Thirty at least. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Probably just scored twelve points. <laughs> yeah, but it felt like thirty. Felt like thirty. Totally. Yeah. yeah and yeah. one. So they always listed me as like six five or six six in the program. Oh, it's the same. Yeah. And I was like, oh, what? <laughs> oh yeah, no. Because when they look, the other teams look at the program, they're like, "Well, oh, this team is so big. They yeah. got like four guys like six five, six six. <laughs> no, we're not. <laughs> I know. They, I was always the same, and then I'd be like, "I'm." Once they see me, I'm like, "Oh, I'm not. A, I'm not actually a big man." You know, like they're gonna be like, "Oh, that's their big man," and yeah. then they're gonna eat me for lunch, and that happens sometimes. <laughs> it happens. It happens. Yeah. I mean, I get what you're saying with identity. I think like team and sport for myself like allowed for you know, the growth and confidence that would kind of leak over to so many other aspects of, of life. Mm-hmm. Cause you were on the team, you had that, that backup, you know, they were, they, they had your back no matter what. And, uh, you know, it allowed you to take chances in other aspects of your life. Totally. Yeah. And it just, it made you feel like you're part of something. Yeah. You, know? you get to, you know, after practice, you'd go eat and you would eat with the team. Hang out. Yeah. Hang out. And it was nice to feel that way. Yeah, in those years, so that's cool. So, following high school and uh, you know being a grade twelve starter on the basketball team, <laughs> uh, did you did you know at that point that you wanted to be a physiotherapist, or did that come later? I knew I wanted to be in healthcare. Okay. Um, again, couple reasons. Number one, I broke my pelvis in senior basketball. Oh, not wow. not from basketball, actually, from snowboarding. Oh man! Ouch. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and I remember because I couldn't jump. Yeah. Um, I could walk and do everything, but I couldn't jump. Um, and I'm a jump shooter in, yep. in basketball, so that, that, that combo doesn't work very well. Yeah. Um, and I, I couldn't believe how upset I was that I couldn't play. It's like I worked so hard to make the team, to become a starter, and then now I have to sit on the bench. Well, it's kind of taking your identity away that you worked so hard to create. Yeah. Exactly, and all because I wanted to, you know, have some fun snowboarding. Not that it wasn't fun. I enjoyed snowboarding a lot, but it wasn't my, I wasn't like a snowboarder or anything. We were just dumb kids, to be honest. You know, we sat there watching people do crazy jumps, and we thought, hey, why don't we try? Yeah, of course. Yep. And, you know, I'm like, I could do a 720 and spin a few times. I think I, I got maybe like a quarter spin, and then I, I, I landed directly yeah. on my butt, essentially. Oh, um, man. It flew pretty high. Yeah. Yeah, you must have. <laughs> yeah. Break yeah. Your pelvis. yeah. My pelvis. So, so after that, I went to rehab. 
Yeah. So I went for physio. And was that your first time going to physio at that first, point? First time ever. Yeah. Never, never have I gone to physio before. So I saw this guy uh, in Vancouver um, and I, he treated me probably for six months. Okay. Yeah. But within three months, I would say I was back to at least practice at basketball and then four or five months I was transitioning back. But the amount of change he gave me um, and the confidence he gave me and just the steps that we took to get me back on the court, I was really interested in helping other people do the same. Cool. So awesome. whether that was going to be in physio or medicine, it yeah. was going to be in healthcare to some degree after high school. That was cool. Yep. I love those like transformative experiences. Like, you know, it, it maybe felt like an experience that took your identity when you mm -hmm. broke your pelvis, but in, in a lot of ways it kind of gave you your identity. Yeah. Exactly. Because it was the, in, in many ways, the starting point of a path that you walked for, or still walking for 20, still, 20 plus years. Walking. Yeah. A lot of years. A lot, a lot of years. So, yeah. it, well, that's how, that's how we first met. Like I showed up at uh, yes. physio room on Main there. And that was, was a long time. That right. was, right? And I lived in that building, which is so funny. That's right. Did I know that? I don't know if you knew that. I, I, don't lived, think... I lived in the Newport before mm -hmm. I moved back to Steveston. I, yeah, lived, I, in, totally I lived, in, uh, lived in the Newport right above Physio Room. What years? Oh, uh, COVID's kind of like messed my time frame in life. So it's 2021. We've lived here for, I think, two years now. Yeah. Two and a half years. So that takes us to 2019. So like 2015, 2016 to 2019. Oh my God. Wow. Yeah. So you saw the whole transition as I saw well. saw the whole, and that, I mean, that's, and I was buddies with uh, Larissa who was working there. Of course. So I actually, I came in for treatment because I would, I'd go see Larissa. Right. Um, and I didn't know you at that point, but I kind of connected to you through, you know, juice truck yeah. um, and some of the events and, I think when you kind of first came really onto my radar was through the basketball events that you're putting on yes. day, day one. Uh, imagine one. Wait, wait. Day no, one. Day, day one. one. I was yep. going to Lululemon there. <laughs> imagine one. <laughs> day one basketball. Day one basketball. But anyways, we're jumping all over the place oh, here. Yeah. Going down memory lane. There you go. Um, Start talking about basketball though. Like high school basketball, we all just get nostalgic. We're like, oh, oh yeah. The always. glory days. <laughs> it's such a big fish thing for me too because like my memories, I'm like definitely better than I actually was in my memories. Well, for like, sure. Like you were saying, like, like 12 points becomes 30 points. So oh. in, in my in my memory, I had like epic games, but really... <laughs> I was just setting picks. It was an eight, it was an eight rebounds. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't foul out. That was like a good game for try, me. Trying try yeah. not to get boxed out too hard by Dean over here. Oh, man. You guys played together or against each against other. Against each other, right? Yeah. Now, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Cross town rivals. Cross town rivals. We still got to play. We got to play. We do. Got to get some, maybe this, this uh, I mean, this, this podcast will come out in the new year, but uh, we'll uh, maybe get some gym time over the break. Yes, definitely. Shoot some hoops. Yeah. See see how that jump shot is. See how that pelvis <laughs> exposes pelvis. Yeah. I told you my weakness. <laughs> That's right. All right. So you have this injury and it kind of sets you on this path. Yeah. Um, and you go to school and did you decide early on that you were going to major in physiotherapy once you were in school or were you still kind of just like taking some feelers? Yeah. So I went, I went into sciences in UBC uh, 2000, 2000. Yeah. Sorry. 2000. Yeah. That's a long time ago. Um, and I, it was feelers for sure. Yeah. I wanted to get into healthcare. 
um, to some degree, you know, was it medicine? Was it, you know, I wanted to be a sports doctor specialist or a sports medicine guy, yep. maybe a surgeon, yep. all those kind of things. Uh, and then I think after first year, actually what ended up happening is I did take my MCATs. This is after first year. Okay. I, I don't recall if you can enter medicine after first or second year back then, but <clears throat> either way, I was definitely on the journey to become a doctor. Okay. So I took my MCATs. Uh, did pretty well. I didn't do well in one section. I don't even remember what it was. Maybe it was physics. I'm pretty sure it was physics. Uh, but there's like a chemistry section, a biology section, English section, and then a physics section. Physics, I totally bombed. But it was good enough to get an interview okay. at UBC at that time. Uh, I'm one of those guys that always has contingency plans, though. Yeah. Like. I don't put all my eggs in the basket. I, I'm like one of those safe guys. I like to have like five things going at once. Yeah. So at the same time, I applied for physio school. Okay. Yeah. And I was just going to see kind of, you know, which one's going to take me and maybe I'll go down one path and I could switch later. I was still young at the time. I ended up doing my interviews for physio school at quite a few schools, like five or six different schools. <clears throat> and uh, I ended up, getting into physio school before I had to do my interviews for <coughs> medicine. Okay. Yep. So then I just went down the path of physio. Yeah. Never looked back. Yeah. Yep. Very cool. Yeah. Interviews kind of scare me. Yes. You know, they're freaky and I never like sitting in front of panels. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, I'm already in physio Once school. Once you're in, you were in. Yeah. I'm, I'm good. I'm, yeah. I didn't want to put myself through that anxiety. <laughs> So fast forward, you know, you, you work as a physio at some other clinics, yep. uh, kind of get your feet wet and realize at some point that you want to have your own place yes. and founded an open physio room Correct. above, uh, below my, my house <laughs> yeah. on Newport, on Main, Main, and, uh, Main and 18th, Main right? and 18th. On Main and 18th. So, you know, the 2006, I graduated from physio school, yeah. basically worked from 06 to 2011. Well, let's just say 2010. Yeah. A variety of clinics across the city. I first started actually in West Van at the Aquatic yeah. Center. I worked there for two years. Yeah. Um, and then I had switched over to doing locums. Locums are, that's such a physio term, locums. Locums are basically coverage for, uh, other physios that are yes. going on vacation okay. or, you know, they're part of teams. So they go travel to teams. So the West Van experience didn't really give me a very well-rounded experience, I would say, because there's a certain clientele there. Mm -hmm. um, and they were fine and it's good clinic, but I didn't feel like, you know, I got the whole scope of sports and athletes, uh, younger, younger generations as well. It was, you know, a very specific demographic. So I wanted to explore because I really didn't feel like I found the type of physio I really wanted to do. So I decided to take any coverage of any physio that would give me a, you know, a job essentially. So yeah. I ended up doing locums everywhere from UBC, uh, a lot at UBC, uh, at the sports medicine center, uh, North Vancouver. This is where I met Drew actually in Lynn Valley. 
I covered for a guy out there who was part of a sports team. A lot of sports guys because sports, again, they, they get pulled out of practice all the time. Right. And it was perfect opportunity for me. I wanted to learn sports medicine a little bit. So I got to kind of learn from the from the more experienced sports physios. You know, you get to read their charts and see what they do. It's basically copy everything they do. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then I started to realize, like, I, I kind of like that. I yep. like the whole vibe of, like, athletes. And the thing about athletes is everyone kind of gets better. <laughs> like, and you, you feel good about it as yeah. a physio because they're, you know, kind of a lot of varsity guys, young mm-hmm. athletes. Their body is already primed to get better. Yeah. Right? yeah. So you feel like every case is a success story. Very different than the aquatic center, which was, you know, a little bit of an older demographic. Yeah. yeah. Maybe more chronic. Yeah. Maybe pain more and chronic. Management. Yeah. Body doesn't bounce back the same way. <laughs> so <clears throat> I really like the atmosphere of just, you know, success stories. Yeah. You know, happy, a lot of high fives. Everyone just felt good. Back to the games and averaging thirty points, whatever that may be. Well, it was the experience you had too, right? As a as a young person, like going through and wanting to get back to yes. the court, right? Exactly, exactly. So, did a lot of that, uh, and then other clinics as well. Worked in uh, Richmond for a bit, uh, New West for a bit. Um, where else? Capilano College for a bit. Uh, variety of clinics in Vancouver for a bit as well. You did the circuit. I did the circuit. I was like the locum guy for a yeah, while. Yeah, yeah. All right. And actually, people knew me as the locum guy. Nick Lowe, the locum guy. Yeah. It's like anyone wanted vacations. It's called Nick Lowe. <laughs> <laughs> and that's uh, funny. You know, that's how I met Drew because he ended up, I met him in Lynn Valley and he yeah. was like, hey, you're, the, you're like the locum guy, right? <laughs> That's so, so I'm like, oh, I kind of want to go away for for a couple of weeks. You want to want to cover for me? And I was like, yeah, sure, I'll do it. Um, so yeah, exactly. In Lynn Valley, I met Drew. He was the only guy, uh, one of the only guys I've ever met in the entire physio space that was such a basketball fan. Okay. So we instantly connected <clears throat> because all the time I was doing physio, it's like. I couldn't really talk about some of my passions in life. Basketball is still a big passion. I continued to play recreational for a long time. Yeah. And it was like something I had to hide almost because nobody else likes basketball. <laughs> a lot of soccer guys, a lot of hockey guys, a lot of... Yeah. Nobody talks about basketball. It's really weird. It's changing. It's changing. And maybe it's because Vancouver, small community in basketball yeah. probably is actually. But then Drew was this basketball like junkie. Yeah. And I was like, wow, yeah. this guy talks basketball. I like that. Um, so we ended up just being really close friends since those early days. I think that might have been 20, like to say 2008, 9, 10, yeah. uh, those zones. And then after that, 2010, after doing like locum after locum after locum, I was like, I don't. I really don't know what I want to do because I also had this itch to start my own business. Yeah. Growing up, my dad, uh, my parents owned a grocery store. It's kind of the typical immigrant story, I mm. guess. But my parents owned a grocery store. So I grew up working at a grocery store. Was the grocery store in Vancouver? Yes. In Vancouver. Uh, not anymore. Um, we've, we've since shut it down, but uh, my parents are retired. But it was uh, West Valley Market in the West End. That's awesome. Cool. Yep. So I grew up cashier, you know, packing stuff in the back, yeah. Yeah. pretty much everything. Whatever yeah. Stocking shelves. Wear all the hats. Wear all the hats, right? <clears throat> so I kind of grew up in that world of entrepreneurship naturally because my dad worked 
from I think it was 9 a.m. to 11 p.m. every single day. Wow. The only day he missed uh, ever, and not even when he's sick. Maybe now he would have. Yeah. <laughs> but back then, not you know, not really. Low cops not gonna it. stop you. Uh, the only day he would ever miss work is Christmas Day. Hmm. Wow. That's the only day we were closed. Yeah. And he would work through every single day. <laughs> I've never seen the guy sick. I'm like, wow, this guy works hard. Wow. So that hard work was like double instilled in me with my dad. Did your mom work in the family biz too or was she more at home with you guys? So my mom was more at home with us. But yep. my mom kind of always did a bit of business stuff herself. She yep. opened a restaurant when I was younger. Uh, didn't do very well, mm-hmm. uh, but I got to see that, right? Yeah. I got to see some like, n- like not as successful business stories. Um, <clears throat> I got to see my dad working very hard. I got to see the stresses of, you know, trying to pay the bills, yeah. um, not, not paying the kids, you know, <laughs> things like that. Cause it's free labor. And yeah. I grew up with a lot of that. Me and my brother both worked. I remember the first summer my dad actually paid me. I was so happy. That it's completely underage at that time, by the way. I don't know if I should be saying that. But <laughs> family like, business. Family business. Family I business. think there's a loophole there when it's family. Yeah. Exactly. I feel like I was 12, maybe 13 years old. Um, and he he said he'd pay me $2 an hour, right? Yes. And I was so happy. Yeah. That's big money. Uh, big money. And I worked every day that summer. And I think I made like $1,000. <laughs> Yeah. Do you, did you do you remember what you did? Because I had similar experiences. When you were like, a kid, that's a, yeah, it's a lot of money. <laughs> my, yeah. my dad had a small business as well, and he, I think he, similar age, paid me like five bucks an hour, and that was enough to buy a bike that I really wanted. And totally. It was like the most exciting thing in the world. Do you, do you remember if you was there something that you put that money towards, or did you start to save it? Or so I, I was definitely a saver. My brother was the opposite. Yeah, um, I would, I would. Uh, Every dollar. I still remember I used to put coins in the little envelopes and put it in the machines. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't think you do that anymore. But <laughs> back then I would do that because I would just 76 cents. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And every time that dollar amount went up with my little receipt, I would feel good about myself. Yeah. Like, wow, I'm like making some money now. I Contributing feel to your future. Contributing to my future. So other than video games, not not really, to be honest. Yeah. I did buy some video games. Though, yeah. So, But it's, it's cool. I think like when you grew up that way, like similarly, you know, I had a, I had a paper route. Yep. And it's like, it doesn't, doesn't pay very well. I think it's something like eight cents a paper that you deliver. Yeah, yeah. So you got to deliver a lot of papers and like it's pouring rain for, you know, it's not the best job, but it teaches you like, what is it? Kendrick Lamar has that song, how much a dollar costs, right? <laughs> yes. Like it teaches you the value of a dollar. Totally. And I think that that's really, maybe today, I don't know, it's lost on some people where they just get a lot of stuff given to them or don't have that experience of like, yeah, show up to work for the family business for two bucks an hour. And totally. you're like, <laughs> like totally amped on that, right? Like totally. I'm getting paid this time. Yeah. I was very, very excited when he paid me $2 an hour, but like all of those experiences from my parents building businesses and working so hard, I kind of always wanted to do my own thing Yeah, and working as a physio. I was always one of those guys that showed up at work and had, a lot of suggestions. Okay, yeah, yeah. You could see things like yeah, yeah, yeah. I would, I like the the story. I've told the story a lot of times, by the way, in other podcasts and also some of my old meetups. Is back in the day we used to give uh, sell Theraband, and Theraband is like a exercise band that you would give clients, uh, sell clients to use. <clears throat> and the clinic I worked at, at the time charged 
I think it was like maybe five bucks a foot or something like that. And uh, typically you would need like three, four feet for any sort of exercise. So that's like 15, 20 bucks. I never liked that because I always felt like, and these guys are like paying like 60, 70, 80 bucks, whatever that was back then. We can't even like give them like a little exercise band because I know it doesn't cost that. Yeah. <laughs> There's no way it costs 15, 20 bucks for a little TheraBand, right? So I used to always sneak TheraBand from the clinic and gift them to my clients. And I would always tell them, hey, just don't worry about it. Yeah, yeah. Just put it in your bag. Just walk right out the door. Don't even worry about it. <laughs> yeah. I got you. Don't worry. I remember I did that for like maybe three, four months uh, in a row. <clears throat> Every client, I would just snap them, cut a little piece, slip it in the bag, slip out the door. I got you. Yeah. I got you. Because I always, I brought it up to be fair. At one of the staff meetings, I had brought it up. Yeah. Like, is it okay, do you think, if like a client comes in and you really feel like they would value from it, that we can just like give them a piece of TheraBand, especially if they rebook, you know, good reasons to give them a little something extra. And it was always a hard no at that clinic. Right? Yeah. Nope. You know, it costs this amount. We have like our budgets and all this kind of stuff. And I was like, ah, but if they book three more sessions, that's like... You know, it doesn't actually make a lot of sense. Yeah. But again, I was so frustrated with with the idea of the the no. I'm like, well, what was even the discussion? Like, I could, you know, do, like give you some metrics to support it if you need. Yeah. Right? Like, but they're like, no, no way. So then I would do this anyways. I was <laughs> kind of that rebel guy. Just, just do it anyways. And then one day, the the owner of that clinic caught me. <laughs> because <laughs> i i i did the same thing cut a piece looked at my client i'm like hey slip this in your bag don't even worry about it yeah <laughs> i turned I, I lift my head up and the owner was standing right there this, oh man she's nice nice lady good physio uh but she was staring <laughs> right at me and i looked right in her eyes face turned beet red and i'm like oh my god <laughs> Got, got caught with your hand in the cookie jar. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And so what um, again, I I didn't feel like I necessarily did something wrong because I brought it up. Yes, I should have told them that I was potentially going to do this. Blah blah blah. So I was well ready and willing to have a full discussion about it. I'm not like trying yeah. to steal here or anything yeah. like that. I was trying to give value to my clients. So we had set a meeting up the next week. And to have a discussion, but she's like, you know what? Let's just talk about it next week. Cool. Okay. I set a meeting next week. My paycheck comes, I think maybe like uh, two, three days later before the meeting, my paycheck comes and they had deducted every single time I had given out the TheraBand. So they were aware? How did they track it? Probably someone in the front desk or they measured. I have no idea, but they had dates every single time. I think it was like... It was probably like $800 or something. Oh, <laughs> it was a lot. Like off yeah. of one check. Off of one check, Ooh. yeah. Especially yeah. when you're young, you know, you're you're That's, depending on those dollars to pay your rent, absolutely. get your groceries. Like $800 is like a month's rent or something like that, you know? Yes. That's uh, crazy. So uh, how did that meeting go? <laughs> I mean, I quit, obviously. <laughs> right. But it wasn't so much that I didn't want to be accountable for what I did. I wanted to be accountable for it. It's not even the money. Yeah. Just like, it's the not, principle. 
yeah, it's like we said we we're going to have a meeting and he's deducted all the stuff. Like, yeah. Number one, I was going to ask, like, how are you so sure? Like, yeah, like it's cameras in here. <laughs> like, yeah. I, I didn't feel right about it. Yeah. Because um, hmm. I was more than willing to, to, to be held accountable. Kind of like, you know what? I should have told you first. Yes. hundred yeah. percent. And, uh, you know, we'll figure out a way to make up for it. If I have to pay for the things I've given up, then I'll, I'll do that. It's but like, damn you, Nick Lowe, for giving great customer service. And, <laughs> yeah. But fu- again, funny enough, that kind of shaped the next part of my journey, which yeah. is, I don't know if I love everything about yeah. all these clinics. Yeah. That was a big like turnoff for sure. There was another clinic that didn't, they wanted me to dress a certain way. Mm. And <laughs> I've told this story before too, but I wore a sweater and uh, a pair of like just slacks, normal pants. Sweater though, right? The policy in that clinic is you have to wear a collared shirt. I'm like, oh, a collared shirt? I'm like, I'm wearing a sweater. It's arguable which one's nicer, actually. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. I'm like, I, I don't I don't really have a lot of collared shirts. You know, I have a lot of sweaters. I just like sweaters. So yeah. I'm kind of, I'm not really the, the, that type of vibe. It's not my vibe. I'm not, but I'm not like dressed inappropriately. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, I'm still wearing a sweater. I'm trying my best here. But the owner of that clinic was like, nope. That's a policy. You have to wear a collar because as a physio, you know, you have to represent professionalism. <laughs> like I'm not being unprofessional here. Yeah. I'm like, I was really taken aback by that. Um, so again, I quit <laughs> right naturally. Yeah. And that experience, that experience, and then more experiences led me down this path of like, you know what? I don't know if physio's for me. Mm. You know, I love the interaction. I love the the customer experience side. I love talking to people, all those things, but I feel like I could do that in other, you know, aspects that doesn't involve physio clinic, one-on-one 30 minute, 15 minute, you know, yeah. and some clinics were seeing six an hour. I've worked in those clinics before and they were tough. Right? Yeah. <clears throat> so, um, fast forward 2010, I quit altogether. I quit physio and, my brother at the time was also in kind of in between jobs, basically jobless. <laughs> uh, and we were both kind of grew up in the grocery world, business world. And we're like, you know what? Let's start a business. Yeah. Me and you. And we were going to start open a restaurant. And our, because we like food, that doesn't, not usually the best reason to open a restaurant, <laughs> by the way, but we love food. And we felt like there was this really good idea that we had. It was, it was like a dumpling restaurant. We grew up eating a lot of dumplings yeah. from my, from like my, my grandparents would make dumplings for us. I always like felt like maybe Vancouver's cold, like the warm soup. And I just like dumplings. They're I still, delicious. I still do to Oof. this day, by the way. Love me some dumplings. Too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but we had this idea to open this dumpling shop. We end up going to New York to, to kind of learn how to make dumplings uh, and then just look at restaurants and just see what the trends are and all this kind of stuff. Ended up coming back to Vancouver and then my brother uh, got his real estate um, license. Okay. <laughs> like, I was yo, like, what about the dumplings? Yeah, like, what about the dumplings? <laughs> what about that trip to New York? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But he was, he was literally like, hey, like, uh, I kind of like want to explore this real estate stuff. Yeah. I'm still happy to support you, obviously. And obviously he was going to like help anything I wanted type of thing. But he didn't really necessarily want to do the dumpling thing anymore. Right. I was like, yo, what the? I thought <laughs> yeah. that was our plan. We had this grandmaster plan to make great, great dumplings. He uh, in, had invested in a 
property on 18th and Main. Oh, okay. Yeah. Wait, the physio room. The physio room. The first physio room. Go. So he had owned that property and was naturally looking for a tenant. Yeah. And dumpling restaurant <laughs> was kind of like gone. <laughs> I could have still done the dumpling restaurant, to be fair. Yeah. But we did look into it. It wasn't zoned for restaurants. Yeah, I was going to say, there's no restaurants on that strip. It's not in the strata plan. No, and when you're <laughs> new, I'm brand new to business. I yeah. don't know how these things work. Yeah. You just look at a property. You're like, yeah, I could open a restaurant. Cool. It doesn't work that way. Ventilation. Oh, gotta, there's a lot that goes into it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <The> permitting. <laughs> it gets a little complicated. Yeah. So my brother was the one that was like, why don't you just open a physio clinic? Isn't that what you do? <laughs> And I was like, to be fair, I haven't done it in like six months. Yeah. But I was open to the idea. But truthfully, I, I it, physio rubbed me the wrong way. You kind of felt that door had closed almost. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. I didn't. I didn't love the the business side of it. Mm-hmm. Like, it felt very transactional. You know, like every client's insurance and you know, four an hour, six an hour. You know, get charged for TheraBand. I hated that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Right? So my my brother was again the one that convinced me. He's like, "Why don't you just take everything you hate and then remove that? Yeah, and then do something totally different. Nobody's done before." I'm like, that kind of makes sense. Yeah, <laughs> that is what I went to school for naturally, and I did like the actual physio side of it. Right. So again, to, uh, fast forward a little bit, 2011, open physio room, which uh, had no idea what I was doing. No business background, zero, no clients, right? Because I had quit physio six months ago. Right. And I was a locum guy. Yeah. So yeah. I don't really have clients. You didn't have a base. Yeah. Not really. Not really. So it was probably like the scariest moments like leading up to the opening date. I remember how many courses I took. I, I ended up studying. Like I flew to Winnipeg. I flew to um, um, Halifax. To take all these certifications because in six months I had to open this brand new clinic and I hadn't taken like a bunch of courses before. I wanted to make sure that I can offer as many things as possible. So I took acupuncture. I took bike fitting. I took uh, all these advanced orthopedic stuff. I'm like, I want to make sure that, you know, you I'm not just some random guy opening yeah. up this yeah, clinic. Yeah, yeah. You so stuff to pro- offer. prove the people you're not just locum lick. Um, prove <laughs> people I'm not just locum lick. So <laughs> yeah. then, um, yeah, 2000, 2011 happens, and the first again, to, like this is a big part of my story. Is I wasn't even planning to open that day. Me and my brother were making like building IKEA furniture in the back. We had opened the door just to uh, air out the paint. Yeah, we didn't have like beds or any. They were still saran wrapped. They had like wrapping on it we were going to open probably in two weeks yeah just getting ready for the systems and stuff but this one guy walks in he walks in because our sign was already there physio room still said coming soon but he walks in this older gentleman and he's like hey are you open and i'm like not yet how can i help you yeah and he's like i've been waiting for you guys to open for like the last whatever time we've been up there like you know, two months, three months, the renovations. Yeah. He's, and he's, he's, you know, severely overweight. He, he was an older gentleman. He very slow, couldn't walk very well. And he was like, can you give me physio now? Because it takes me a long time to walk across the street. 
I live across the street. Wow. And I'm like, yep. <laughs> well, actually, the first thing I said was, well, because I'm like, do you have cash? <laughs> because we didn't even have our system set up yet. Yeah, yeah. I didn't even have one of those pin pad things. Yeah. yeah. Like, do, do you have cash? <laughs> and he, he looked at his wallet. I'm going to open his wallet. He's like, I have $15. <laughs> How much is a session? I was like, $60. And he's like, don't make me go to the bank. I promise you I'll pay you next time. And I was like, don't even worry about it. We'll charge you $15 because I'm not really ready for it anyways. Yeah. It's my first client ever. I ended up charging him $15. That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> That's such so a good crazy. story. And we ended up going, like, to be fair, I just didn't want to build the Ikea furniture. It was way more fun doing physios with the yeah. Ikea furniture. But my brother was stuck doing the Ikea furniture. <laughs> and I, I went into a room and we just, I gave him like a two-hour session essentially. Yeah. And he's actually um, been a big referral network for me uh, for many years in the Main Street area. Wow. So it was, I always tell, I trained a lot of people at, at Physio Room and then my detox after. You, availability is really important mm-hmm. <laughs> and making sure that, you know, when opportunities do arise that you're ready for it because it's not always going to work in your favor. Closing off schedules and closing off things doesn't, you can't, the world's not going to revol- evolve or and revolve exactly the way you want it to. Yeah, yeah. And you have to be ready when those opportunities arise, right? So that's what I did. And I opened the doors. Next day, I was like, I'm, we're open. I didn't care. I was like, 7 a.m. Because the door said 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. Yeah. I opened from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. Didn't matter if any clients were there. I would just have the doors open. Yeah. <laughs> just in case somebody Someone strolls in. in. Amazing. Okay. Yeah. That's a, that's a great story, man. <laughs> I love that. I think for, just for context for for the listeners too, I just want to like share my experience with your brand. Yeah. And with with uh, we can get into my detox, but I think this experience kind of merges between the two. Um, prior to Physio Room, yes, I I saw physios as strictly a service. Yes, but when you guys opened, I saw it as a brand, and I think that was you were maybe the first person to create a a physio service that was was a brand you know people weren't wearing the collar shirts people weren't wearing like you know funny shoes and like (laughs) dressing up like you know 75 percent doctors yes um and there was culture there yes it wasn't uh sterile like a lot of physio um you know, therapy clinics or, or even health clinics in general. Like there was, you were, there were community events, there was basketball, there totally. was, um, you know, pop up, like there's, there's food around and there was run events and there was like really cool clothes and swag and like, yeah, you guys did the physio room, like after the Kanye right? Yes. That was amazing. <laughs> yeah. I, I remember coming down there when I had busted my Achilles and I'd be like, <laughs> What is this like? The, the physio room has like merch, and it's it's good. Like it's yeah. drippy, man. With this, <laughs> that Kanye vibe to it. Did that Kanye vibe? Yeah. yeah. So you guys very much like pioneered something that hadn't occurred, I think, in Vancouver, but potentially globally. Like you took something that was a health service, and you created brand and culture and community around it. And I think that 
not only shifted the the health community, but it also shifted like the small business community in Vancouver because you guys were collaborating with you know running groups, you were collaborating yep. with basketball groups. Like it was really like breaking the paradigm of what a physiotherapy experience was. So okay. I just want to like give a shout out to that so people can like when they're imagining <laughs> physio room, um, the experience was beyond that of just a, a service. It was a community that you're walking into. Yeah. I mean, thank you. That's very kind of you to say. Um, but to be, yeah, I mean, the ever since the beginning, we 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 kind of set out on a mission to be more of a brand. Yeah. Right. And to me, a brand is 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 something that you know is attached to an emotion, it's attached to a feeling, and you know, there's going to be physios that come in and out, and service is service. Um, but if we can you know, always provide value and more value to our, to our customers and our community, then we'll, they'll, they'll attach that exact emotion to what that brand is. And that's what exactly what you want to feel because physio clinics are very sterile. Yes. Just like, you know, medicine can be very sterile. Mm -hmm. People don't want to be there. They don't want to sit in the waiting room and talk about like, yeah, I'm a physio clinic. Not really. It's talking about their busted ankles. Whatever it might be. (laughs) Exactly. But we wanted to create that culture where people felt like they belonged and they wanted to get better and not just improve their, you know, pain, but improve, you know, the, the performance of, of whatever sport they wanted to do. Yeah. Um, and we can, we could help unlock that. So one thing that I heard you talk about on another pod was uh, kind of the cell phone analogy. You know, people used to talk about like upgrading their car. Oh man! But can you? We're, <laughs> we're going to jump into the NFTs soon for all those listeners that are like, yeah. I just want to hear about NFTs. Yeah. But I think it all gives context because sure. it leads. You know, each step leads to the next. Um, there's two kind of things that I want to talk about with your physio. One's the sure. cell phone analogy, and the other one I think is a bigger concept that. I think is transferred into what your the many hats that you wear is this idea of future proofing. Mm-hmm. Um, can you just to kind of explain? Because I think the cell phone analogy helps um, understand kind of our our own evolution in some ways, and how if we just stay <laughs> where we are, we might miss opportunities to to grow physically, which might sure. limit us in other aspects of our life. Wow, the cell phone analogy is a is an old one. It's probably a good one. I, you know, Drew actually used that on me too when I first came to him, and I was like, oh, "Really, that's a good one, Drew." But now yeah. I've heard you say it a few times, and I don't know who came up with it first. <laughs> <laughs> we probably collaborated on it, to be honest. But I was I used to be like the deck guy, put all these things on decks, yeah, because I was very visual. Yeah, I gave a lot of presentations, so the cell phone analogy was because it was easy to understand when yeah. you put a photo of like a phone mm-hmm. on the deck, everyone's like, Oh, it's a phone. Like, because <laughs> yeah. the, the thing about the body and, and anatomy and you know, how, how um, everything interacts with everything can be very complicated. It actually is very complicated and it's a never ending story. Like yeah. you're, you're going to keep learning and learning and learning and uh, we're going to learn more and uncover more as yeah. we continue to evolve as, as, as a species. But I try really hard as a clinician to, to make it very simple for my uh, client or my customer, because at the end of the day, you know, they're coming in to solve a problem. And my job is to help them solve the problem, not when they're in the clinic, but when they're outside the clinic. Mm-hmm. And I always have the intention to see somebody once if I can. Um, cause I know they'll be back, right? 
So the cell phone analogy was really like uh, this idea of like hardware software. And, you know, we as humans have uh, hardwired systems and the hardwired systems is what we call hardware. We can't really change that, right? So things like walking and running and um, those are things we, don't, we didn't learn over time. We were born into them. Mm -hmm. And now that I have a kid, you start to see those types of evolutionary hardwired things. Yeah. We slowly, you know, put our feet down on the ground. One step, one step, one step. Nobody teaches you that. They're hardwired in our evolution. So mm -hmm. over time, what happens, though, is we download so much software. And downloading software is sports, right? Basketball is a good example. We weren't born to play basketball. That was definitely an invention by somebody. Uh, weightlifting is the same, right? We didn't have, like, massive plates and, and machines where we could, like, get stronger. So skiing golfing tennis whatever you want like all of those things are considered software you download it and you play it you get better at it and over time you're just upgrading your software yeah what we forget as humans is how much time do we spend upgrading our hardware mm. right it's kind of like the analogy of if your phone was busted right what's the first thing you do well you probably turn it off and turn it back on mm -hmm. Right. And then you hope for the best. Yeah. That's exactly what happens when somebody comes in for physio. I busted my ankle. Cool. I'm going to turn off my phone yeah. for an hour. Right. And fix me. Yeah. Factory reset. Factory reset. <laughs> yeah. right? Well, fa factory resets actually number two. Oh, okay. Because you're, you're willing to actually wipe things down. Yeah. 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 Well, that's turning true, yeah. off and on is just literally like a, a one hour. I'm going go in there. Just you know, hit me with a couple of needles and a little, little bit of stretching and yeah. a couple exercises. I should be on my way. Cool. Will that work? I don't know. Does it work for your phone? Sometimes it does. Sometimes it doesn't. If it's a bigger problem, it probably won't. Yeah. If it's a small glitch, <laughs> then it probably will. Yeah. So the second step would be, I'm going to do a factory reset where I actually start to wipe things mm. on my phone. Right. And it'll probably warn you because Apple does that. I'm an Apple guy. But yeah. Apple warns you like, hey, this is going to delete your like stuff. Yeah. So you have to make that conscious decision that, oh, my God, like, really? I have to like delete my app. And yeah. what about all the things I've like worked up for? So making that decision to do a factory reset means you're actually deleting all of your software. Right. So that you only have the hardware left. Right. <clears throat> Will that work? That usually is much better. And mm -hmm. that's equivalent to me telling an athlete, hey, you can't play basketball for the next six months. Yeah. And you're going to come every single week, right? <laughs> Do your exercises, but you're not allowed to play basketball. That's called a factory reset. Yeah. Right. The third thing, right, which is like the most like advanced would be to change the phone. <laughs> yeah. We don't have the option to do that. Right. The, the, like if the phone is completely busted, we buy a new one. Yeah. Brand new, right out of the package. We turn it back on. But what is that? That's called a hardware upgrade. Yeah, we don't have that option. <laughs> we don't have that option because there's iPhone 12, iPhone 13. I, you know, yeah. you can buy the newest one. Yeah. For us, we don't have that option, right? So mm. we are forced now to delete our software to just work on our hardware. When you're ready, you download the software back. Yeah, you can play basketball again. And will you forget? No, you're not going to forget because this thing called the cloud, it's called your brain. When you download that basketball thing, 
software thing. You It'll don't forget bad. how to shoot. That's why I always joke with Zach. I haven't played ball since before COVID. Yeah. But I know I can still take him down. <laughs> <laughs> probably, <so>. probably. <laughs> that jump shot hasn't gone anywhere. Nah, this jump shot never goes anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, that's a really good. That's a helpful, helpful way to think about it, right? Yeah, because it's just simple. Yeah. Right? I try to keep things very simple. Like, you're here for a turn off, turn on. Right. And it's okay to do that. Yeah. Um, I could do that because yeah. we have clients that come in and be like, hey, I just, just do the needles, do the needles. And I'm like, that's both Dean and I. That's, yeah. I just needle us. Yeah. So that's off on. Yeah. But as long as they are clear, yeah. we're not changing much here. Right. Exactly. Yeah. We're just off on it. Yeah. And sometimes it's enough to get you back out there. And that's yeah. cool. Yeah. Right. Till the next on off. <laughs> <laughs> Till the next on off. Right. We're but, so guilty of this, Dean. I know. But over time, your hardware gets older. Right. That's yeah. The point. Yeah. Right, like it's it's really hard to to use an iPhone 10 today because all the software doesn't even you can't even download the software on an iPhone 10. Yeah, because it's not compatible. Anymore. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like you need to upgrade your hardware before you can even download the software. Yeah. Right. So people are still playing with like iPhone 10s and their advanced basketball, advanced skiing, advanced. Yeah. So they're they're way perform like they're gonna blow a tire any second. <laughs> You know what I mean? So yeah. I, we, I always encourage people like upgrade your hardware, make your hardware better. Yeah. Right. Then download whatever you want. Bring it back. Yeah. Yeah. Then reset again later. Yeah. Right. But if you're just trying to like, like, like to your point earlier, like I, you know, I went for a run, didn't warm up or you're literally, well, running is a bad example because that's hardware, but like if it was sports, yeah. you know, and I, I'm guilty of this. I go shoot hoops. I don't stretch. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't do my hardware stuff right right yeah i do my software i'm worrying about my jump shot <laughs> so that's what most athletes do though right yeah i'm, I'm just gonna keep working on my game that's right like, what about walking can you do that yeah, yeah, can you yeah. run properly can you crouch can you you know that's yeah. those are hardware the hardware movements yeah so yeah good. you gotta take care of it we need to work on our hardware, Dean. I know. You and me, bud. <laughs> the no warm-up uh, no warm sprint up. out the door special. iPhone iPhone 85 is feeling it. <laughs> I'm still on my Motorola Razor over here. Yeah. Flip phone, flip phone. Yeah. Flip phone. yeah. Uh, but to the second question yeah, about fut- future-proof. Future-proof. I think, I think this is such an interesting concept, and I think it bleeds into you know all aspects of yeah. the, the different businesses that you have. So can you kind of just speak to the concept, the philosophy of future-proofing? Yeah, I mean, from a, from a physical type of, you know, performance side, yeah. it's, you know, self-explanatory. <clears throat> it's the idea of come, going to physio um, is to future-proof, which means be ready, but be better and be stronger so that, you know, because we are working against the clock. That's how it works, right? Yeah. Every single day that passes, we're actually getting downgraded. Right? Yeah. <laughs> we're not getting upgraded unless you're like in your teens. Yeah. But after that, every single day is actually, we're going backwards to some degree from, yeah. a, from a physiological standpoint. Yeah. So how much are you doing to mitigate that? And not just mitigate that, go upwards, mm-hmm. you know? So future-proofing is around... How do you go from not just from, you know, negative five to zero? Because that's typically what physio is. Like, I can't run. I'm in pain. I'm in this. Zero means like I'm normal, like neutral. Nothing hurts. Yeah. Right? But what about plus 10, plus 50, plus 100, right? That's what physios are for. Yeah. Because I don't actually want you to come back. I want you to go 
But that takes work, mm-hmm. just like everything in life, right? <laughs> everything that's worth it. Yes, exactly. But when you when you go with the narrative of like injury prevention, nobody cares mm-hmm. because nobody thinks about injuries. I don't go play basketball thinking about like I might get hurt. That that would really limit me on the court. Yeah. If you go about it with like, what if you can play longer? What if you could shoot better? What if you can perform better against your friends? Yeah. Uh, sign me up. All right. Nobody thinks about injury prevention. Who cares? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not going to get injured. I'm good. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. You, the only time you think about an injury is when you're injured. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So, future proofing is from a, a physio standpoint that, but from a more philosophical standpoint, it's like I always tell people from a business standpoint. There's like two things that will make a very successful entrepreneur. One is understanding what people value today. Right. And a lot of good businesses do that. They understand the consumer very, very well. Mm-hmm. The, the, the really great entrepreneurs and the legends and the visionaries understand how to predict what customers value in the future. And they start to go that way. Yeah. And this is kind of where we're going with the NFT space. Totally. Nobody gets it yet. Yeah. <laughs> right. But visionaries right or people willing to try to be a visionary right Mm -hmm. are the ones who are slowly predicting what people will value tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day right so if you can bridge those two you really good at understanding what people value today and you kind of are good at predicting what people value tomorrow you're you're gonna be very successful yeah exactly right so i love it well should we uh get into that's that's the jumping point right there let's let's take the what what pill do they take in the matrix the blue pill the red pill is the red pill i don't know yeah it's one of the pills one of the pills let's take (laughs) that one let's take that one let's let's dive into alice in wonderland here let's go um i mean i think we could jam on the physio stuff for a long time and we're missing a few chapters with myo detox and, and all that. But I think, you know, we can throw some show notes to some other podcasts that you've been on so they for can, sure. they can catch up on those chapters. For sure. Let's get into NFTs. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So it. Nick, you gave me this nice drink of Kool-Aid called an NFT and <laughs> like yourself, I, I like, you know, obsess sometimes over the future and, and my lens is like, typically been more through like food trends and health and wellness yes and i've never been that into technology like it kind of bothers me i'm like yep you know i'm i I kind of feel like a dinosaur in that sense but you you kind of gave me this narrative of web one web two web three and uh how community was going to evolve with um nfts and web three yes and i like went down that rabbit hole <laughs> and now i'm like just like anything new whether it's running or cycling or food trends i like like i obsess about it until i like fully understand it sure and um nick's been you've been great because you're my nft hotline i text you 24 7 what does this mean <laughs> my internet is not connecting how do i make this dial up work <laughs> so i think it would be if you can, if you can get a dinosaur like me to understand NFTs, I think um, there's hope for this world. Um, <laughs> so why don't we go through Web one through three and kind of start there and maybe like define what an NFT is first and how maybe crypto is the currency and <clears throat> NFTs the asset in a way. 
Yeah, I mean, I'll, I think I'll start actually by by saying kind of what I why I kind of got into the space yes. a little bit because yes. I'll lead into it. Yes, thank you. We yes. missed that we missed <laughs> no. That stuff. No, all good, all good. But you know, phys- the physio room thing was basically 2011 to 2017. Then. I joined Myo Detox, which is another company in Toronto. We merged our companies. For, so from 2017 to 2021 was Myo Detox. So really 10 years, exactly 10 years, 2011, uh, 2011 2021 yeah. was my kind of entrepreneur, like putting on that hat, really every hat and being a sole proprietor to being a partner, being a lot of things made me realize how clunky that system really is. Mm. And it was very challenging for me, even from the early days, all the way up to the end point in 2021 of centralized organizations. And it's not, it's not physio room and Mayo. It's really just the way the world is. The idea of hierarchies was very, I always had trouble with it, whether it was me sitting in that seat or somebody else sitting in the seat. I just had trouble with it. Right. It just didn't make a lot of sense to me that a person or a group or a entity could have the power to make decisions for the people. Mm-hmm. Right. And again, this isn't just from my, my experiences in my company is really from a ton of experiences. So in 2016 this is before my detox, I had kind of, I, re- I read this book called reinventing organizations uh, by Frederick Lelou. It was a mentor of mine at that time told me to read this book because we had all these conversations about like decentralizing. Yeah, yeah. Right. And I was saying like, you know, I, I, I feel like I can't go anywhere, you know, like I can't go on vacation. I can't, I felt I couldn't snowboard at that time. I didn't want to hurt myself because I felt like so many people relied on me, Mm. right? I was writing paychecks to every single person in the company, doing performance reviews with every single person in the company. And I always like went home going like, who am I to make these decisions? Yeah. Like, I don't really know if what you're doing is great. The customer knows. (laughs) And I don't go ask the customers. I just sit there based on what I observe, based on what you've shown me, based on what I perceive, I'm going to make a decision whether you get a raise or not a raise. Yeah. And I don't, I don't love that. And I used to, you know, really be torn with like this idea of I'm, I'm put in this position where I have to make all these decisions and so many people rely on me and I was miserable, Hmm. absolutely miserable. Fast forward to when I read that book, I was like, wow, there is a way. And they had, the purpose of the book is to teach, show you what like flatter organizations are. It's this concept of self-management where if you create a structure where there is no hierarchy, then people will learn how to self-manage. They don't need managers. Why would anyone need managers? Yeah. Right. Because people are inherently good, right? If you give them the inputs, the output should come. Right, which is they'll learn, they'll be good, they'll they'll add value to your company, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So I went on this like like streak of like just changing the organization. I was like, I don't want to be the boss. There's no such thing as being a boss. Yeah. I'm not a manager. I'm gonna I'm gonna create this whole self management system in Physio Room. And people were getting all frustrated with me because I kept changing things. Yeah. You know, like we had these like like pockets of of groups. You know, like you have this this person is your it wasn't a manager. It was like a, like a, 
coach. I think we called it a coach. Yeah. This is like all the basketball terminology. Basically, nothing worked okay. <laughs> is what I'm saying, right? Nothing really worked, right? Uh, fast forward to myodetox and myodetox. Similarly, you know, I was put in a position to uh, lead operations for quite a number of years. And in those, in the times I was doing that, the larger the organization got, and it was getting larger, Toronto was part of it, Vancouver, we ended up opening clinics in LA as well, still continuing to grow, by the way. It was very challenging to be put in a position where your, your, your job <coughs> is now to um, grow the individuals and manage their performance. Yeah. I didn't feel like that was the right system. And you can already see what would happen if you continue to scale that way. Yeah. So I ended up being very fascinated with blockchain because the the whole concept around decentralization just made sense to me. It wasn't about like, I'm not a technologist or, or uh, in, in dev or anything like that. I just was fascinated by this structure hmm. that you can implement that allowed more transparency and this idea that it's kind of like an equal playing field, that there is no central authority. Yeah. I was like, wow, that's fascinating, right? So I just dove into it pretty hard. This is back in like 2017, 2018, 2019. Just read a lot about it. It was still in the infancy stage. Cryptocurrency has been around for a long time. Mm -hmm. Like I think it was 2009 or eight or something like that when Bitcoin first released their white paper. But the idea of that like never made any sense to me until I had the experience myself of oh like peer to peer does make sense. Yeah. If there's a structure that allows it to actually happen. Because everything else is now just communication structures. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like you don't talk to me, you talk to him, you talk like but the blockchain actually allows you to be completely transparent because everything is visible on what they call a ledger. So every everyone has access to all the information that you need, right? So that's why my initial fascination with, with the whole idea of blockchain was uh, I tried to implement some of those things at MyoDetox. It's not very easy because it's it, the learning curve is like steep. steep. Yeah. And right. it's changing a, a very old system. Exactly. Yeah. Right. So fast forward to... 2020, 2021, I got back into cryptocurrency um, and then NFTs because NFTs and the, my first exposure to NFTs was really NBA Top Shots, basketball. It all makes sense now. Yeah, right? like you can own that clip, right? That was when it came out. Like you can be, it's on YouTube, it's everywhere, yeah. but you are the person who owns the clip of Michael Jordan dunking or whatever it might be. Yeah. And the, to be fair, though, it wasn't even that that made me interested. It's just being a basketball fan. Yes. No. I was like the opening packs because yeah. I grew oh, up yeah. a collector of, of course. Yeah. Collecting sports cards. Collecting sports cards. Yeah. Yes. So, Opening that pack, seeing what you get. Yeah, it was just like fun. Yeah. Right? The packs weren't super expensive. I just enjoyed the experience of like opening a pack and not knowing if I got yeah. LeBron James or yeah. like a not so good player. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It was just like fun to open packs again. Um, and so I started doing that a lot. I didn't even really know I was buying NFTs at that oh, time. Okay. You're just collecting. Just collecting moments. A nostalgic it. experience that. You know, check the box of basketball and something you enjoyed as a kid. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. But then I started to, you know, dive deeper into it. Uh, after the NBA Top Shots thing, 
I started looking at this idea of NFTs. Like, what is an NFT, right? And I, again, got very fascinated by it. This idea that non-fungible, meaning it can't be um, exchanged by, for another one of it. So it's a one-of-one one unique asset yeah. that's digital, Right, so if it's a, it's a if it's a photo or if it's a JPEG or if it's a piece of art, there's it's coded in there that it's unique. There's it's verified on the blockchain, so you technically can own it, mm-hmm. which is very different than uh, fungible, like Bitcoin or Ethereum or uh, other cryptocurrencies out there. The idea of you can um, exchange them for each other, right. like if I gave you one Bitcoin and you gave me one back later on, it's the same. Bitcoin. It's actually not the same, but it doesn't really matter. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Or for, for people that are new to this, it's the same as I gave you a dollar, you gave me a dollar back. There might be two different physical dollars, but they represent the same thing. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Versus but it's exchanging money for something that is like a one of a kind item yes. that only you have and now you've purchased it. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. But I think the easiest way to understand it is. I, number one, to be fair, I hate the word cryptocurrency. I always have because okay. the, the the term itself just sounds like super sketch. Yeah, cryptic, yeah, yeah. yeah. It sounds cryptic. Yeah, and it also like sounds like cryptography. That's what it's actually based off of. Right. This idea of encryption, like that, already sounds secretive and shady. Yes. Right. <laughs> and yeah. it had like origins with a lot of like, even if it didn't truthfully have origins, a lot of like the media coming out with with crypto when it first started was drug dealers and the dark web. And, yes. you know, there was kind of a, a negative, um, kind of Vibe. the shadow, the, yeah. sh- the shadows of our culture were kind of the champions of crypto. Yes. So the number one, the word itself is super weird. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> because really what it is, is just internet money, right? Yeah. Or digital currency. So, if you think of it that way, we have physical currency and we have digital currency. In the physical world, we already use it. There's Canadian dollars, there's U.S. dollars, there's euros, there's all these types of dollars. Yeah. But the physical physical currency is made for physical assets, so physical things that you can buy, whether it's hats or T-shirts or anything that's really physical, yeah. right? Because you can own that, right? Houses, cars. That idea that you had currency, which is a medium of exchange— and things that you can buy is in the physical world. That creates an economy. Mm-hmm. So in the physical world, we have an economy that exists. And we interact with it every single day. There's services and there's products. And there's people that want it. Cool. That makes sense. Yep. In the digital world, it doesn't exist that way. right? Because when cryptocurrency started with Bitcoin, this idea that there's now a medium of exchange online was fascinating but there really wasn't anything to buy yeah because what are you supposed to buy with that again physical goods and everyone's always wondering like oh we should go to the juice truck and use bitcoin and you probably can in the future but do you have to right because there's physical currency is there something wrong with a physical currency sure it's you can say it's more centralized there's you know federal reserve and all that kind of stuff so you can go there but Unless everyone decides that it's totally a flawed system, there's still physical currency to buy physical goods. Mm-hmm. So you don't actually need digital currency to buy those physical goods. What you need digital currency for is to buy digital goods, digital assets. Yeah. But until NFTs became a thing, nothing on the internet was 
ownable. Right. It, there was no digital asset in the way that we understand it now because of NFTs. Yes. Yeah. So just think of two parallel universes. There's a physical and there's a digital, right? And there's physical currency, there's digital currency. There's physical goods and there's digital goods. Yeah. But only now there's digital goods. Right. Right. And that's NFT. Right. And I was talking to somebody yesterday about this because they like the word NFT again. As soon as you say that, it's like, whoa, scammy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, there's a bunch of JPEGs. That's exactly what, That's what everyone you're, you're yeah. buying. You're buying a JPEG. Like I can literally just like take a screenshot of it and I have it too. It's like, <laughs> yes, but no. <laughs> yes, but no, exactly. Because until NFTs existed, there was no such thing as ownership of things online mm -hmm. right and this is where the web one web two web three thing comes in because web one was this idea of static pages where it was very decentralized meaning anyone could just really put up anything they wanted yeah but there wasn't really any organization around that content you just put things up <laughs> boom put things up and hopefully somebody reads it mm -hmm. so the brands like like time magazine or other things could 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 utilize that very well because now you're you're opening up your content to more people in the world. It's more accessible. And Time Magazine is a reputable brand. So if I go time.com and I read an article there, I feel good about it. Right? right. Yeah. But but there was no organization of that content until Web two came in, and then you had the Googles and the Facebooks and all those kind of things, all the bigger companies that created really funnels for people to search for content now. Yeah. Algorithms that created content that you want, mm -hmm. that you want to read, you want to... So it became, over time, though, these big companies got too powerful, yeah. monopolized the entire thing, and we know as today, you're Googling something. Yeah. You're not Netscaping something. Of course. Or, Internet exploring. We're something. not asking Jeeves anymore. We're not asking Jeeves anymore. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's, Jeeves. it's Google, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's Google. Like we even say Google it. We don't even say search it. Yeah, <laughs> we say Google it. It's synonymous with searching on the internet. <laughs> yes, Google it. Yeah, but yeah. this is what happens when one company becomes the powerhouse of a particular thing, right? Mm -hmm. And Facebook, Instagram, all the social media platforms gave everyone an opportunity to go create, but it became very centralized because central organizations own that content and they own all the attention. They own every single piece of that pie, right? Which is again, again, like what I was talking about my, with my friend is in the future, you're not going to hear of things like NFTs. It'll be a parallel platform to Instagram, right? Let's just call it the NFT Instagram. And you're just going to post like you normally do. Yeah. But with that post, you might get rewarded a token mm. because in the parallel universe, which is Web2, Instagram, when you post, they technically get rewarded a token, not really a token, but they get, they get money. Data. Yeah, they exactly. get data and that data they can monetize. Yes. So every piece of data that you feed that system, they can monetize off that data. And that's where the algorithm comes back to us because yeah. what we when we Google something, you might get different results based on what you've Googled before, what your social platform is like, what your engagement is like, your location. Yes. Yeah, right? And that's why we've all seen like targeted ads. And that's because 
this is the data that we put into these things, right? We yes. check the box. I accept these terms and conditions. And it's like to take, <laughs> to take and sell all my information. Yes. So, for your gain, not for mine. Like, exactly. But we never really like thought too hard about it yeah. when the platforms were out. We just wanted the app. Because they organized the information for us very well. Yeah, mm-hmm. made it easy and we gave our consent away. And we gave our consent away. So yeah. it's not like people always say it's like, oh, the big, the big bad people. Yeah, yeah. It's not so sinister as, as it's easy. It's easily to make it out that way, right? Yeah, because we all participated in it just the same way. We never complained about it, yeah. right? So now we are because it's like, oh, the ads are pulling up to my phone. <laughs> like, what do you think happened before? Same thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but they just have more information now. Your digital footprint is owned by other people. Your digital identity is owned by other people, right? So mm-hmm. this idea of the metaverse is fascinating for people because you can create a digital identity that you own. Yeah. Right. Again, parallel universe. Imagine we had 50% of our lives in the physical world and 50% in the metaverse, which is this virtual world that, you know, the uh, people are talking about a lot these days. Yeah. But what if you own both? Right. What if you had like in the physical world, we have homes, we have cars, we have clothing, we have collectibles, we have anything we want as long as we work for it. Right. <laughs> in the economy, in the physical in the digital world, the parallel universe we already have that digital identity, but we don't own any of it. Right. Right. So yeah. that's fascinating to me because you can't just wipe your digital identity. You wish you resold it to somebody. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I'm going to turn off my Instagram and my Facebook. Yeah. Good luck. You already sold it to some, somebody already owns it. Yeah. Right. You can't just wipe yourself. Yeah. You clicked on all those things that said, I agree. I agree. I agree. Right. So, but in the future, mm-hmm. you're going to have a digital identity that you own. Yeah. Completely. Whatever avatars you want to be. And you're going to work in that environment. You're going to fight dragons. Totally different world, right? Yeah. But you're going to be rewarded for that. Mm -hmm. Through what? Through digital currency, right? So over time, just like in the physical economy, you're going to have a digital economy where you just grow as human beings, but in the digital world mm. compared to the physical world. It's the same thing. And this is like, this is the idea of, of Web3, that you will have ownership or is that different? <laughs> well, Web3 is like a very big general term, okay. but it's the idea of using blockchain or integrating blockchain as the kind of infrastructure of how the web operates. Right. Right. So maybe, maybe for people, if they're listening and they're like, okay, I'm interested, I want to own like my online metaverse self and all of those things too. But like, I'm not sure I'm ready to jump in and even something like blockchain. So what, what is like, how does blockchain like maybe work or how does it safeguard things? Or like, is it a, yeah. Blockchain is just this idea that all these computers can access a public ledger, public ledger, meaning like it's basically just one big list of everything that happens on that chain or that, the internet, I right. suppose. So anytime there's a transaction or anyone buys something or it's just publicly listed so that everyone with access to the blockchain, which in the future, it's not going to be that weird to be like, oh, it's do you do Web3 or Web2? It's just the web. Right, <laughs> right. right. And in the web, you can just access it, right? I can see your wallet. I can see your wallet. You can see my wallet. You can see my wallet. You, can, you know what I mean? Yeah. So again, in the future state, It's very foreign right now because it's like really different than how we interact right now with all these third parties. You have banks, you have Google, you have Facebook, you have all this. The the world is built around third party verification, 
everything is third party verified. Yeah. Or else nothing, there's no truths to anything. Anymore, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Because it could all be faked or, or right. scammed. You, you get to buy the house because the bank says, yeah, they're, they're good for the money. We've loaned it to them. They signed the paper here, the physical real paper in our real <laughs> physical office. So give them the house. We'll, yeah. Exactly. So the, the whole, like when Bitcoin released their white paper, which really was the start of everything, was this idea of how do we verify without third parties? Right. Yeah. And Which it, is a decentralization. Essentially. Yeah. It's just imagine there was no third parties. It would be chaos, complete chaos, mm-hmm. until you have something <laughs> like the blockchain. Yeah. Which how the blockchain works is, is well, it slightly differently depending on every chain. There's there's two main kind of protocols. One is proof of work and one is proof of stake. Bitcoin being the original was, was a proof of work mechanism, which basically means that all these computers, which they call nodes, are essentially verifying um, through mathematical equations in solving um, complex math problems to, to verify certain transactions on that blockchain, right? And it becomes this, essentially every computer is in a, in a race to solve this problem. And if they solve the problem first, then they get rewarded for solving that problem, right? So all the verif- all the verification you need is through the network itself. Okay. Right. So if I, you know, give you one Bitcoin type of thing, yeah. that's a transaction that um, will only be put on the blockchain if it's verified. Right. So then there's a mathematical. It's like a digital book that keeps track of absolutely everything. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. And then because- it makes sure that if you buy that that asset that digital asset that nft yes quote unquote the jpeg yes the the blockchain the computers will verify through blockchain like yes this is like a one of one or a one of 500 or whatever it might be the release uh, and you are the owner of it yes maybe 500,000 people have the same screenshot image jpeg that you do but yours that yes. you own is the original in your wallet Exactly. So and people can verify and feel like, okay, I do actually have ownership of this. Just, and here's how I can prove it. Just like if you own this house, people can take a picture of this house. They can maybe Airbnb it for a weekend and come yeah. stay at it. But the only person that owns it is is you. Yeah. Same with a yeah. NFT. Other people may take a picture of that NFT, that JPEG. Yeah. But there's no ownership. There's no commerce or utility around that picture. Whereas <laughs> your NFT holds value beyond the enjoyment of just looking at it exactly yeah yeah yes. yeah and how, again, how did you coach uh, no that was really good but <laughs> next my nft <laughs> <laughs> but that that's actually perfect right because again in the physical world that yeah. idea of ownership is not that foreign to people of course yeah we all get it yeah, yeah. Like, people just walk in this house yeah like, oh i, I want to have a drink I'm like what are you talking about it's yeah. my house <laughs> yeah. yeah but because it's a normal thing for people to do in the physical world your car is your car. My car is my car. Your shirt is your shirt. My shirt is my shirt. Like we don't just start ripping these off because <laughs> yeah. it's weird. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Socially, it's inappropriate. But in the digital world, right? We're just pillaging. Yeah. There's yeah. no such thing yeah. as ownership, really. Other well, than these big corporations like Facebook, Instagram, Google. Which was what? They, they have all the ownership. And oh. us, the user, has yes. has none. Yes. Yeah, we we're given the privilege of participation in it. Yes. But what we pay is we're giving we're giving away all that information and they then are the owners yes. and profiting off of it. 
Yeah, and again, to be fair, it's I don't think it was a bad thing, right? Because it we had to go through that to get to Web three. It was the evolution? Exactly. It's, yeah. yeah, because if it all worked, then why would we ever evolve? It's like breaking your pelvis snowboarding led you to physio, exactly. led you to, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. Yes, yeah, love choose the pelvis. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. So, so one example that I think you gave me, and it might be a bit of a common example, but I think it, it helps with kind of concept. Um, so with anything new, you know, artists are often like the early adapters and the culture definers and, and all of that. So I think just using art as an example, pre-Web 1, analog, Jackson Pollock, you know, guy like to drink wasn't a successful artist for a long time and he was making these crazy art, uh, crazy paintings that were like breaking the paradigm of art at the time. And sure. because he liked to drink, he would trade his art for a six pack of beer. Right. And then that art was no longer his. He gave it away. That yes. was a transaction. And then he goes on to become one of the most successful artists in the world and his paintings sell for, for millions and millions and millions of dollars. So he traded, uh, you know, his art, his million dollar art for a six pack of beer and he'll never reap future benefits of the the sales because that there was no contract that was upholding his ownership to that or even his creation to that um beyond you know his signature but with nfts they're essentially smart contracts that are bound to this ledger yes um so if I sell you my Jackson Pollock. I created I'm Jackson Pollock now, just for the sake of this. <laughs> my avatar in Web3 is Jackson Pollock. So I'm sending you, I'm, I'm selling you my art, but I'm giving you a deal. But I'm going to put into that contract, that smart contract, that anytime that art sells on the secondary market, I'm going to get 20% because NFTs are sure. basically contracts that are, are bound to the ledger. Yes. So every time that sells now, you can work into that contract that I make 20%. So if it sells, I sell it to you for a pack of beer. If you sell it for a million dollars, I'm going to get 20% of that. If that person sells it for $10 million, I'm still going to get 20% of that. So uh, it kind of like breaks, decentralizes, to reuse that term, um, ownership for artists, um, you know, whether they're painters or musicians, like we've all seen like what Taylor Swift's been doing, like re-recording all of her... Mm -hmm. Her music, her battles that we've seen, um, you know, like with Ice Cube, like breaking into an office because somebody else owns his songs with NFTs. The artist, in theory, always has ownership over what they create. Exactly. As long mm -hmm. as it's part of the smart contract and part of the contract of the NFT. Exactly. It's 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 very similar to like a legal document from a third party like yeah. lawyers, right? But it's mm -hmm. coded. So, so it automatically happens. Exactly. Yeah. Which is sounds great. It yeah. seems way more less clunky. Very streamlined. You don't need Very to go find Johnny down somewhere in another city and be like, hey, you sold my painting that you bought from Bob, that you bought from Sue, that I sold to Rick, that sold to you. I want a piece of it because I was the original creator on the blockchain. It just automatically <laughs> happens. Yeah, and it, the, the, the philosophy behind it makes a lot of sense, right? Because it's rewarding value the value that's created mm -hmm. right so it, it creators can really leverage this opportunity to get rewarded for all the value they create over time in perpetuity which is a really important concept because 
art and, you know, everything is, has value because of supply and demand. Everything has value because somebody pegs a value to it. Mm-hmm. Right. And if, you know, sneakers is the best example. I'm a sneakerhead, right? So a pair of sneakers inherently should cost like a dollar, maybe, maybe two. I don't know how much it costs, but not cheap. Yeah. Yeah. Cheap. Definitely not the retail price, which is. <laughs> like 150 bucks or 200 bucks, whatever that may be. Yeah. And then definitely not the resale price of some of these sneakers, which could be like a thousand dollars. Yeah. Right. But why is it a thousand dollars? Because of supply and demand. If there's demand for something because a community decides that there's value in owning a pair of these shoes, mm-hmm. then the value will go up. Right. Supply is the opposite side. If there's a lot of supply, then, well, it's so easy. It's very easy to get, isn't it? But if there's not a lot of supply, then the value will continue to go up mm-hmm. because there's demand and there's low supply. Simple. It's basic 101. But in the kind of Web3 blockchain world, smart contract world, there's full transparency of those two things, supply and demand, especially supply. Yeah. In like, I don't know which documentary did I watch. It was a documentary about the Ken Griffey Jr., rookie card oh okay i haven't seen this no me neither yeah but the ken griffey jr rookie card was the most coveted rookie card upper deck back in the day upper deck yeah yeah so anyone that had that card was like wow i have the ken griffey jr rookie card right yeah what they didn't realize is that so does a lot of people Mm. way more than they ever thought yeah because apparently upper deck never wasn't fully transparent about how many of these they actually printed and they printed a lot so like people in europe and people asian people all around the world had this little little, little pockets of supply and demand where they felt like they had because like this thing yeah but they didn't realize everyone had that thing oh wow yeah yeah right so but back in those old days you didn't have that type of transparency how mm-hmm. people don't post about their ken griffey jr rookie card yeah that's it was back in the 90s. This yeah, is Web yeah. 1. Right? Yeah, right? Yeah. You just now, know, like, in your neighborhood, who has it? Yeah, and you're, exactly. Johnny's got the Ken Griffey. Damn. Yeah. Yeah, right? But in the social media world, that's different. Now right. everyone's posting, they got the Ken It's like, oh, it's a lot of Ken Griffey. <laughs> yeah, it turns out I'm not that special. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Yeah. So on the blockchain world, the supply and demand is controlled, right? Because mm. if you're launching an NFT collection that has, you know, 500, 1,000, whatever that may be, that's that's how much there is. That's in the smart contract. Yeah. They're not going to, they can't issue more. They could issue another collection, but they can't issue But more. it's not that collection. Yeah, yeah. Smart contract, smart contract. It's coded, right? It's, yeah. It's, it's the single source of truth, and everyone has access to that truth. So you can look at the contract as much as you want. Mm-hmm. Hard to read for people that don't understand how to read smart contracts, but you can read it. Yeah. Right? And people were being called out for it earlier in the kind of NFT game because the contracts weren't exactly as decentralized as they claimed to be. Hmm. Right. So early on, like we're still we're still in the early days, and it is like uh, it seems like it's gaining a lot of momentum. Mm-hmm. Do you see Do you see this as something that's going to be like right now? It seems kind of like um, it's not super accessible to people. Not only because you kind of have to have an understanding of like how all of the technology and stuff mm-hmm. behind it works, <clears throat> understand what you're buying, but also like price is a thing. Like it's expensive because you're buying like limited kind of collector's item moments opportunities do you see this as becoming something that's like much more accessible to like like for example will starbucks release like 
an NFT where you can buy it. Maybe it's like 50,000 or 100,000. You buy it and then like it gets you perks every year for being like an original owner unless you like sell that NFT to someone else. Yeah, I think I remember bringing up the Starbucks like example, like maybe when I was convincing Zach actually <laughs> way, way in the early days. Yeah. But it was more so like less less around Starbucks like launching it now. But imagine Starbucks launched it when they started. Right. That they launched an NFT collection, which is a one of one unique asset that a hundred or a thousand people, let's say, can own. Right. Yeah. And it's the original location in Seattle, right? Who would buy that NFT? Probably the, the five or 10, 20 people that go to Starbucks every single day. Yeah. Because the, the utility that's pegged, the value that's pegged to this NFT is a cup of coffee. Yeah. Free. Anytime you want with this NFT. If there's only one Starbucks, there's only so many people that would care. Yeah. But, you know, this person and this person who do come every day would be like, that's kind of cool. I would buy that. Yeah. It's not going to cost very much because there's not a big demand for it. Right. But think of Starbucks today. That original collection of 100 NFTs that the small community bought, now there's 20,000, 30,000. I don't know how many Starbucks there are, but there's lots. Yeah. Lot, lots it's, of like, it's got like a whole cult following. Like people buy the mugs and they, they like search them out in new cities. Like Exactly. So now the original holders of those, right, have basically grown with Starbucks as they've scaled because the demand for that particular NFT, if the, in the smart contract it's it's one uh, free cup of coffee whenever you go to Starbucks. You can imagine the market demand for it. That's huge. Yeah, because now 2030, like I, you can literally go anywhere in the world and get coffee whenever you feel like it. Because yeah. there's a Starbucks there, there, there. You know yeah, what I mean? and it's free. Yeah. So yeah. then the value of that coin must be astronomical at this point. Yeah. So that original person maybe doesn't even like Starbucks anymore. Right. Because there's a new neighborhood coffee shop around their hood. Yeah. So you know what they're like? I think it's time to sell the Starbucks token yeah to who to somebody who values it at that stage right if it's a hundred thousand dollars then somebody clearly values it for because it's like their coffee ticket for around the world yeah well and not only that like it, it gets them what it gets them right like if it is a free coffee anytime anywhere whenever you go into a starbucks but it's also for people who are excited about the idea of ownership of that starbucks one of a hundred like tokens yes like that brings value that's like an intrinsic value yes someone's like well i want it because i want that yes and it gets me you know the once a year letter from the ceo of starbucks <laughs> and the coffee every time i go in there whatever it might be that's tied to that right well they they get to grow with the brand because yeah. they were a fan from mm -hmm. the beginning mm -hmm. they were the adopter of that brand when nobody else cared yeah that's always cool to see and I go back to my old physio room days, my first client, right? I don't know where he is anymore. Right. I wish I did because I would want to thank him, mm. right? Because he was important to my journey, but he didn't get to grow with me because right, as right, I've right, grown, right, right. I forgot about him. Not intentionally, but that's the nature it's of scale. That's how it goes, yeah. That's how it goes, right? So, but... He might have gotten my first physio room NFT. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And that would have been kind of cool because he can pass that to his kid or somebody else. Right. Gift it to somebody who might value that more mm -hmm. or keep it. Right. So, yeah. So, in some ways, it's interesting because these are like digital assets, the JPEGs, if you will, sure. right? Whatever it is you're, you're buying. Um, but right away, now when, we're, now when we're talking about this, like it's community. Yes. Like it's it's participation in a brand. It's identifying with a brand or artist or whatever it might be. Um, but there is this like 
kind of idea of like I'm I'm like supporting something right if that first customer and as soon as you own part of it or own this NFT that belongs to it that gets you whatever special treatment or whatever it might be like you now are one of however many of those NFTs there are they're created let's call it 100 you're one of 100 yes. of this like unique community around a brand or a business or a person whatever it might be so do you see it as being like a thing that community people use to create community or well at the core of every business is community mm-hmm. i've been a part of a lot of businesses and a lot of clinics and that is the one thing that everyone is trying to solve every single time we get on a zoom call how do we give back to our community yeah. how do we build community how do we reward our community all those kind of things and very clunky in the other st- in the other world yeah because i've been there right and it's tough okay we're gonna throw an event we're gonna you know give out free swag we're going to value our community we're gonna partner with juice truck we're gonna offer free juices or whatever that may be yeah, yeah. followers on social media what does that even mean you know like how do you how do you quantify the value that they bring to your business if you've got a thousand two thousand three thousand followers yes and for a lot of companies the first thing from a budgeting standpoint they slash from the marketing budget is community right, right. because like that's not quantifiable we don't even know what that brings so yeah giving away twenty seven thousand free juices what does that quantify to? We don't know because it's so hard to track. Right? Yeah, yeah. I've heard of people getting fired for giving away uh, like uh, exercise bands, you Creating. know, community. <laughs> I actually quit, but <laughs> garnished wages. Yeah, <laughs> but it, again, like a lot of the beginnings of this was I was sitting on a lot of Zoom calls trying to answer those questions. Yeah, how do we? Kickstarter community. How do we solve that? Are we doing influencers? Are we doing social media? Our followers, our our early customers, our lo- you know yes. newsletter, so whatever. Clunky, yeah, really, so yeah. clunky and, and hard to measure. Like from 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 the user experience, it's clunky. It feels like, oh, okay, I got this T-shirt. That, that's cool. They value me, whatever. But then, like <laughs> from from the business side of it, to say, okay, what does that translate? Like the person wears the T-shirt. Are they telling their friends? Are they do they just do they give it to Value Village? Do they give it to their dad who wears it to change the oil in the car? Like it's hard to measure. Hard to measure. So, so how does this how does this change community, Nick? Like, yeah, I, I buy an NFT for let's say Myo Detox. Sure. Or I mean, we could say any business. Yeah, it doesn't matter what business it is. It's the same concept. Yeah. Right. It's just another vehicle to build community yeah. in a much better way, yeah. right? Because it's exposing them to something that's technically your IP or intellectual property that you're issuing to them. You're basically giving them a piece of the pie, yeah, mm-hmm. right? In a digital way, right? So that's what's hard for people to grasp. Like, mm-hmm. I don't really get it. Like I could just do a JPEG. No, it's different because this is an issued NFT from the company. So yeah. if it's my detox. I'm gonna, we're going to have like 100 or whatever that may be. 100 people gets an opportunity now to, to own this NFT. What will that NFT bring you? Well, that depends on what we want to put on the smart contract, right? Yeah. And that's the utility of the smart contract that yes. gives yeah. experience beyond just a JPEG <clears throat> or just an image. Exactly. It could be sessions. It could be partnership perks. It could be events. It could be, what does that sound like? How everyone tries to build community. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then if... You know, you have those hundred people. They're invested in building the community of Myo Detox because they have ownership <laughs> over this NFT, over this experience. And and the more 
you guys grow, the more it benefits them, the more they champion you, the more it benefits yes. both of you. So you have this like synergistic <clears throat> relationship that is more, even though it is a transaction, it's less transactional in the sense mm-hmm. that you're growing together. It's a relationship. Yeah, I think both sides, uh, the community side and the company side, are both incentivized to grow it, yeah. to see its success. Yeah. Not from always a monetary standpoint, but from a brand standpoint, mm-hmm. from what we can do for the community, yeah. from a cultural standpoint. Do you want to see this product grow and become bigger and be more accessible to people? You're a part of it just as much as we're a part of it. Yeah. It becomes right. much more synergi- synergistic. <laughs> synergistic. Synergistic. Yes. It's, even though it's digital, it's very natural in that sense. Like, you know, a forest can't grow without mushrooms and 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 moss and and water and sun and all these things they work symbiotically together uh this kind of creates an ecosystem where you're working together and like with web 2 with social media like if i'm following a brand you know i'm going to participate when it's convenient to me i'm going to participate when something catches my eye but i could just quit as easily like um you know something shinier and better comes along and, and forget about it because I'm not incentivized to to champion that brand. But with this case, like I want to see the whatever brand that I've invested in do well. Yeah. Again, uh, it's the sense of ownership. Right? That sense of ownership is missing for communities, right? Yeah. You want them to grow with you. You absolutely want them to, to if a company, if the Starbucks goes from here to you know, 20,000 locations, whatever that may be, yeah. the, the, the earliest fans should be rewarded for that. Yeah. Absolutely. Because without them, we would have never got there. <laughs> like if I think about the juice truck, uh, just like you had that customer, we had so many customers that I don't see anymore that we wouldn't be here today if they didn't come every day to the juice truck. And I wish, even though I don't know where they are now or, or what they're doing, I wish that I could thank them and reward them for giving us the capacity to have a business. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, they were our foundation. And there's there's no um, beyond, you know, I might randomly think about, you know, what so-and-so is doing or um, I don't know if they understand as a consumer the significance they have in the existence of i'm using our brand as an example but you can you can project this to like any business if there if i was able to give them something back then that like you said for starbucks they can have as a token of appreciation (laughs) as a, a token of participation yes with the juice truck um it'd be great that our our growth uh could be reciprocal for the people that allowed us to grow and to that point, it what it brings is this idea of like um, built-in marketing. Yes. Right? Because marketing is transactional mm-hmm. and it can feel very transactional, especially these yes. days with ads and all that. It's forced upon you yeah, yeah. to like click on my thing. And the best way to... The best way to market has always been organically through the community. Yes. You want people to talk about it without you asking them to talk about it. Yeah. It's that earned reach. Instead of being like, here's 20 bucks, Nick. Like, can you like, can you, can you? (laughs) Ooh, wow. This red juice from (laughs) the juice. (laughs) That's the nature of influencer marketing. Yeah. It is transactional. Are they a true fan? Well, I doubt it. Yeah. (laughs) But they have reach. Yeah. Right. So. And it's serving them in that moment, but it might not in the next. Exactly. Right. So one of the one of the not criticisms but like observations I've heard from people who who looked at NFTs and kind of getting getting their head around it 
And even I think it, it, it kind of dovetails to the conversation we were just having is like, okay, but isn't this just like buying shares in a company? This is, people have been doing this for ages. Like it's sure. the stock market. You just, you, you see a company, maybe you don't like the company. You, you could care less if it's uh, Starbucks. You know, I don't even drink coffee, but I'm going to buy shares in Starbucks because obviously it's like a good financial move. Yes. So is it, do you think it's, how is it different? Well, I think, very recently, you you see some of those companies that have our public companies like Nike. It's a good example. Yeah, that now have an NFT collection. So, is right. it different? I mean, you can compare the two. Of course, you can buy Nike stocks, mm-hmm. or you can buy the Nike NFT collection. Right. <clears throat> and in principle, they might be be similar because technically they're assets from the company. From the the more traditional financial <coughs> side, it's not nearly as transparent number one because as we know in the stock market and the stock exchanges there's a lot of market manipulation that happens there all the time you yeah know, big announcement but like this announcement that announcement all of a sudden people big sell-offs like you have no idea what's happening behind the scenes totally like everyone is at the mercy of everything that happens behind the scenes of big powerhouses right on this side, very different because it's on it's on the blockchain. Mm-hmm. It's all smart contract based, right? So everything now is open, public ledger. You can see every transaction that happens, every single it's cryptocurrency, but like dollar that goes back and forth. Yeah. On this side, nobody knows what's happening. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. So from from that sense, it's actually very different because the stock market, again, you can issue more shares. On this side, I don't think so. You yeah. can issue another collection, but it's very different than owning the initial collection. Yes. Because it's a collectability aspect. Yeah, and that's where I think it is. It is like such an important distinction to make is like you can you can release more you can release more shares and then those people are like, Oh, okay, like that's good, that could be problematic, but with uh, with releasing more NFTs, you can't re release them. No. It's gonna be a new collection. And it's time stamped. Yeah. That's the difference. It's time stamped on the blockchain. It's dated. Yeah. Companies and I've been a part of a lot of these companies. Every single time there's a fundraise, there's more shares that are issued. Mm-hmm. But nobody actually understands it that well. The amount of dilution that happens, it's very complicated. Yeah. <laughs> Different classes of shares. Like, you don't even know what you're buying at some points. You're just like, what am I actually buying? Yeah. <laughs> because it's that complex. Right. If there was a million shares, you get a fundraise, you get to issue another 100,000 or another 200,000 or another 300,000. What happens to the original shareholders? Yeah. You dilute them. Yeah. Right. And that's a big difference in nft world totally you release another collection and that original collection value has just gone up again exactly right so it's almost better it's like oh great let's keep releasing you know I'm, i have the first collection i hope we get to like the 18th collection because that means number one exactly is going to be that much better like worth that much more exactly and yeah. i think we're still such early stages mm. you know nike adidas you know might fail yeah. today <laughs> um these are big public companies right Getting that into the space Literally are launching NFT collections now. Even Coach just announced today that they're launching an NFT. Like Steph Curry celebrating his record-breaking three-pointer with an NFT collection where each (laughs) NFT is one of his three-pointers that he... Yeah, 2,000. What is this? Almost 3,000? Yeah. Yeah. Nice job. (laughs) But it's like becoming such a part of, of brand and culture. And I think like Nick said, it is the early stages. But this... 
idea of participation is is exciting and and there are tokens just for participating now which are can you explain what those are are Nick which allowed people in this Adidas case yes. early access to yes their NFT yeah so they're called POOPs um, proof of attendance protocol uh, I think there there might be other chains that do it as well but that's the most popular one basically they're attendance tokens yes so if you show up in an event. Uh, and it's verified, then this is now a token that a um, piece of memorabilia that you can take with you. What is it worth? Not much, to be honest, but then it can be worth a lot because mm-hmm. you think of ticketing and all the different uh, concerts and games and things like that. They're actually hard pieces of tickets that don't inherently hold any value. Yeah. But. Uh, with this new system, it allows you to, again, communicate with whoever issued that POAP. Like, I can't communicate with whoever bought my ticket to them. <laughs> I mean, you can, but they probably don't care anymore. Yeah, It's a very different system now where you can gamify things. Like, if you had a company, Nike has like five events a year. Like, say you went to all five events and you have five POAPs then maybe you get a free hoodie. <laughs> you, yeah. can, you can reward the community that is championing yes. your brand. Yes. So they're just all pieces of digital assets that companies are really being creative with um, allowing the community to participate and engage with the brand yeah. in totally different ways. And, and rewarding people for participating. Absolutely, yeah. Um, one one thought that I, I enjoyed, uh, it's probably from you, Nick, because most of my NFTs <laughs> 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 Like imagine like uh, like if you think about it being like from a user perspective, being like a super fan of either a brand or an artist, like imagine going to a Beyonce concert like before she made it, you know, or like we all have we all have like a story of a band that we saw before they were big, whether it's like Arcade Fire or yeah. Rage Against Machine or Beyonce or Kanye West or whoever. We're all like, oh, we saw them before they were big. Now imagine that concert tickets like a a POAP or an NFT or whatever, um, you're able to now grow similar to how you were saying with Starbucks. You can grow with Beyonce. You can grow with Arcade Fire. You can grow with these bands and these artists that you kind of champion from their infancy and um, you're joining in their success. Yeah. And it's like truly a mutual success that you're you're sharing versus um just being like a groupie or, uh, you know, something like that. Cause, yeah. Because the moments matter. Yeah. They're memorable. Mm-hmm. Right. And why do you think like concert tees are so popular? People love buying concert tees. They're actually really crappy quality tees. But yeah. <laughs> there's prints, right? Yeah. But everyone always wants that concert tee because they want to put it in their closet. Or one yeah. day they go look at it and go, wow. I was there. I was there. Yeah. So these now give you an opportunity to have a digital asset that doesn't like deteriorate as you wear it more <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> or you yeah. could choose not to wear it, which is what a lot of people do as well right but these things now like imagine they did another concert and now you can actually communicate back to them saying hey because you're an early supporter maybe you get a discount on the next concert or maybe you get the free tea yeah. this time for this concert yeah just because you went to the last concert right as a real fan i'd be like that's awesome yeah <laughs> i can't yeah. wait to go to this concert because now I, I just show my little po-op like a free T-shirt on this concert, oh, yeah. I don't have to, or I don't have to line up or right. something. Yeah, like a meet and greet or something. There's some sort of built-in stage pass yeah. or something like that's cool. And yeah. you can share these things that you're passionate about, whether it's <laughs> shoes. Like people, if I see you walking down the street, I wouldn't know that you have all these really cool 
shoes that yes. are stored somewhere in boxes or, or whatever, <laughs> however you store them are, yes. you know, concert tickets that you have so proudly on your wall, but on your, in your web three avatar or whatever, you could have all of these as part of your profile. You could have all, all of these them. shoes. You could have all these concerts that you've attended. Um, so that these things that you celebrate and that you can't necessarily share with community all of a sudden <laughs> becomes an, an inclusive experience. Yes, and I, I think uh, to your point about the shoes, that's that's a great example because on social media, you can take photos of all these shoes and pretend you own these shoes and nobody would know the difference. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And that's what people do. You know, they take photos of car, nice cars. And <laughs> that's like their car. They're marketing themselves. So I'm not mad, but the, there's no truth. To it's, hard, it's hard to know what's genuine, right? No, because I like... They're just marketing themselves as a successful person. Mm, okay, yeah, yeah. Right, like I'm, I have this car, but maybe they rented it. I don't know. Yeah. And I don't, I don't need to know, but that's really how the world works, right? Yeah. yeah. Perception. Perception and like this idea of verification is going to be very useful in the future with uh, degrees, certifications, things like these days that doesn't even exist. Yeah. I've seen a lot of resumes where I find out later that they didn't actually go to that school. I don't even where my, know where my university degree is now. Like, if someone was like, "Did you graduate? Like, where's your proof?" I don't know. Yeah, it's in a box somewhere. Exactly. So. Or did you guys watch uh, Sour Grapes, the the wine, the movie? No, I never watched that one. You watched that one on Netflix. That. But Sour Grapes is a, be- a good example where this this guy basically was like like just in his house combining cheap wine <laughs> to make like the most oh. expensive wines out there because even the best wine connoisseurs couldn't tell it tell the difference wow right but that's how crazy it is yeah but it's not that wine obviously it's not made from that you know special village <laughs> yeah because there's no verification system right it's just a sticker and if you can mimic that sticker and that little stamp yeah there you go yeah it tastes exactly the same so what's the difference exactly. well it's like the what's what's that movie catch me if you can Exactly. You know, yeah. just making up, making things up as you go. And if I tell you I'm a doctor, I'm a dentist, it's like my word against yours other than, it's, you know, if you start to ask me medical things, <laughs> but I could tell you whatever I want. Exactly. Because it's, it's the ability to sell yeah. right? mm-hmm. and somebody to buy. And if you're good at that, yeah, you're going to get pretty far in this world yeah. as it stands today. Yes. Yeah. But, but not in, in the metaverse. No, <laughs> no. Which which is what's I love about it. Yeah, it's it's interesting that there's like because that's one of the criticisms of online life is that you like the whole the catfish thing too, right? Mm-hmm. That movie blew up because people were like, "Oh my god!" Like <laughs> you don't know who you're chatting with on Facebook. It's like obviously not. And I mean, there's still going to be that level of it, but there is mm-hmm. there is a sense that like the evolution that's coming is like more clarity and like you had said like you you can see like anybody can see because it's there on the blockchain it's there like it's public ledger and it's very uh it's open yeah it's open and it's accessible and it's like there for people to see i I love conceptually that there obviously there's advantages there's always advantages for people but i think this more than our current system offers uh hope for equality like you can i could be in some country here we're we're depending on these currencies of of each country has a different currency that's worth mm-hmm. a different value and if I take my Canadian dollar to America that currency is worth less, mm-hmm. um, but if I'm working on the blockchain and I'm making Bitcoin or Ethereum or or whatever currency it might be, that has equal value no matter where I go in the world. Exactly. So if I'm 
somewhere where my currency is not actually not worth very much, mm -hmm. I can, in theory, work online in Web3 and, and make Bitcoin or Ethereum. And I can, that's got equal value anywhere I go. Exactly. doesn't matter what your, your country's currency is. Yes. Say I spent eight hours a day working for a job in my country and I make X amount of dollars. Yeah. I could do that same job in another country, make way more. Yes. But yeah, working in terms of like earning cryptocurrency, like your eight hours that you put in doing whatever it is you do that could potentially earn you cryptocurrency. It doesn't matter where you are located in the world. It's the same. Yes. Yeah. Or you could just play video games and earn cryptocurrency. Right. And play, play to earn. Play to earn. Right? But it's, it's all the same concept. Right? Yeah. It's, people should be rewarded for the time they spend because time is a resource. Yeah. So if they're yeah. spending a lot of time playing video games, you should probably reward for it because mm. you've added value to that game. Yeah. <laughs> our time is our currency. Time is our currency. Exactly. Yeah. So it's just this idea of value. Right. Right. It's not like the headlines around like money and all this kind of makes it bad, but that's how the world is in its current state because things are unattainable for the majority of the people mm -hmm. it's too expensive mm -hmm. i can't buy a house i can't xyz right so the but it's really just about value right <clears throat> the time you spend in whatever it is you want to do you should be rewarded for that as long as there's value in whatever it is you're you're creating right and if it's a game that brings a lot of happiness to a lot of children or kids in the world and you play 12 hours a day and you're on twitch and all this kind of stuff they should probably be rewarded for that the game should be rewarded for that yeah the game will also be rewarded they already are being rewarded for yeah, that. yeah yeah it Building works value together it works both ways right so the idea of like instagram in the future where you're posting things and people are double tapping and sharing and and commenting now both sides are being engaged engaging with this content the owner, right, and the fan. Mm -hmm. So the community and the creator are both being rewarded for it. That's how it should be. There yeah. is no third party. Yeah. The creator just posted an NFT. They just don't know it's called an NFT. It's just called a post, right? So they post, and the, the first double tap they get, they get a token for that. Yeah. But that person also got a token for that because every single time they engage with it, it actually helps secure the network and you're basically verifying something. Right. Right. So it's all, this is how all the blockchain stuff works. Now you have a peer to peer system where people that engage and people that create are winning together. Yeah. It's kind of like in some cultures, they pay you to go to school because right. there's inher inherent value in society collectively doing better together. Mm -hmm. Like if, if you go to school and improve yourself, it's also going to improve your community and your neighborhood. Yeah. And, um, I think that can look, you know, we, we reward certain things with that idea. Like if you're a doctor or whatnot, but I think there can be value, like you said, in playing video games or <laughs> collecting sneakers, if it's bringing joy and happiness. And, um, that's how people are choosing to invest their time and their energy. There's, there's value there. Of course, because again, this, this idea, the metaverse, I think my wife asked me yesterday, she was like, so is it, does it look exactly like earth, but just like it virtually nobody knows Yeah, because that's kind of an escape for the physical world. I doubt it. Yeah. <laughs> Why don't they stay in the physical world? Yeah, yeah, the yeah. idea is so it's different, 
right? And maybe you're fighting dragons all day there, but yeah. it's but it's fun and engaging right. for people, and it's a way to. There's going to be an economy in that system built into it, just like there's an economy here. Where you know what? Today I don't feel like doing my regular job. I'm going to go in the metaverse and fight dragons and earn some cryptocurrency, <laughs> yeah. right? Because I just feel like fighting dragons tonight, right? Right, that, and that's just different. Yeah. Right. It'll be so interesting to see like how it, how it all plays out and like what what are the positive <laughs> implications of all this and like where where can it have like kind of like neg- neg- negative implications in the real world, the quote unquote real world. It's all real, <laughs> but like in the physical world, we call it. Yeah. So again, it's all real. It's more so like like we're older. Right? <laughs> yeah. We're not supposed to like understand it in the context of our life because in our life we have memories that the next generation doesn't Mm. we remember things like going outside and playing sports and playing but like the new guys don't so why are we trying to instill our memories into them their memories are probably an ipad i see my brother's kids they have ipads all the time yeah and i'm always like shouldn't they do something else i'm like well maybe not yeah i'm not saying it's the best thing but I didn't grow up that way because those didn't exist. Yeah. And now they grow up differently because there's new ways to engage with their friends, technology, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Right. So like because I have a son now, I do picture a world where he's going to spend at least 50-50, 50 physical, 50. I hope not more, but that's like the dinosaur in me talking now. <laughs> right? Yeah. Right. So if it's 50-50, I want him to have ownership on both sides. Mm-hmm. I want him to be successful on both sides. I want him to be the best dragon fighter, but also be, you know, maybe a surgeon on this side. Yeah. But I want him to be the best dragon slayer out there. Yeah. If that's the world he's going to interact with, right? Yeah. And, and we're already kind of doing it. Like we're spending so much time on Instagram and Facebook and this digital world that is not um, symbiotic. It's just they're taking our data mm-hmm. and we're having an experience. Um, but it's not, um, there's not that equitable kind of relationship that Web3 is kind of proposing. And again, it goes back to my earlier point about value, mm-hmm. right? It's the entrepreneurship is around understanding what people value today and then hopefully predicting what people will value in the future. Right. And us, us saying that, hey, going outside and enjoy the fresh air, maybe that's not something people do value as much as we do yeah. because they don't have those memories like mm-hmm. we do. So what do they value? Probably fighting dragons, and that's okay. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. Different world. Totally, yeah. And every generation will differentiate from the generation of its parents or like before it, right? Like we did that. <laughs> from our parents, from their parents, whether it's the music you listen to, the clothes you wear, the foods you eat, the people you hang out with, whatever it might be. And I mean, in some ways, I think that this is like the next iteration of that is is the value placed on, well, who cares? Like, it's just your avatar for Snapchat or whatever. Like, but why do you care so much? And it's like, no, because this is how I relate to people. This is how I connect, right? I mean, yeah, I'm around teenagers a lot. Totally. And to see, to see how much they are in both worlds simultaneously even yes. is like is so different. And the things that they care about and focus on is wildly different than my experience as a high school student. Just like when we went to high school, there was no social media. So that it didn't matter what you – like it just mattered how you showed up in the physical world. Yeah. Now fast forward, there's – 
you know, is your Instagram cool? Is your Snapchat cool? Like, how are you showing up online? Like, it's it's changed so much from completely different. Like, if if you plunked a kid in our high school, they wouldn't know how to relate to each other. They wouldn't know how to communicate to each other. It's like evolving into think that because what you're saying, Nick, because of that's how we experience something. That doesn't mean that that's either the right way. <laughs> Or the necessary way for the next generation. Mm-hmm. Like life is an evolution, and and to project <clears throat> our own experience onto future generations is is yeah. kind of. I think it's unfair. It's unfair. Yes, yeah. right. I, I think I hope that my my son likes to go to the mountains and breathe fresh air. But what if it's not that fresh? Shoots hoops with dad. Yeah. Right. As fresh as it was when I was a kid. Yeah. You yeah. know, maybe it's not. Yeah. Maybe the world has changed. Mm-hmm. So. He's going to try to breathe that air and go, I, I don't really like this. This yeah. isn't great. Yeah. Right? Over in the metaverse, it's a little different. I, you know, slicing dragons. Yeah. It's way more fun. So I'm like, okay, cool. That makes sense. Yeah. Right? So, again, it comes down to what different generations are going to value completely different things. Yeah. 100%. Right? So. All right. So I've got one kind of this is kind of leading to from what you're saying. But I've got one question here. And then maybe we can kind of wrap things up a little bit. And uh you know, save some more NFT conversations for for future pods because I think this is where where we're going in a lot of ways, and and uh, it's fun to to learn. You know, we mm-hmm. all we're all creatures that want knowledge and want information. <laughs> At least I do. Yes. So you've kind of had this future proof um, philosophy that you've applied to physiotherapy, to to wellness, to uh, your approach to life. Um, and now you've applying it to to NFTs. You can future proof your your business, and you can future proof your your um, you know your connection to to brands and experiences. So if we're looking into the crystal ball of Nick Lowe, because sure. I think you are a future visionary thinker. Let's say we're ten years out. Like, what do you think's next? What? How does this evolution continue? I mean, I, I'm pretty bullish on the on the on the fact that now we can own pieces of the internet and the digital space and where that's going to take us, you know, if it's 99% physical and 1% digital right now in sense of ownership, it's just going to slowly trickle towards the other side. And you see brands recognize that right now. And because in the digital world, it's, it's, it's a new world, Mm -hmm. right? Imagine everyone's memories were wiped. It's not, but imagine it was, the it's a brand new economy that is going to be built in that world and brands are recognizing that really early and saying you know what i am going to buy lots of land in this metaverse is that going to be the metaverse i I don't know but yeah they're recognizing that there's a really good chance that it'll be one of the metaverses right so let's buy a big plot of land with a big nike sign or a big adidas sign on it and we're going to host virtual experiences because there might just be one person at that event today, but tomorrow will be two, then three, then four, then five. Yeah. Right. So in in this physical world here, it's like we've kind of reached the peak or past the peak of maximal yield. And every single thing we do now is diminishing returns. And then on that side, it's actually exponential returns. So which side do you want to play in? Hmm. It was never going to be a full binary switch where it's like from web two to web three, centralized, decentralized. I don't think we'll ever be fully decentralized in the real world. That's just the truth. Yeah. 
but we might get to a point where we're 50-50, right? Because, you know, the big the big players are switching over right now. Facebook mm-hmm. changed the meta, right? Shopify doing NFTs now, right? Reddit already announced things. Twitter announced things. Instagram will probably be TikTok announced things as well. So yeah. all these big players are already committed to going decentralizing their systems somehow. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. They're moving towards it, right? They're rec- <clears throat> which is a recognition of like, this is where things are going. <clears throat> yes. So from, you know, and I talk to a lot of people, NFTs all the time. As a non-business owner, do you have to interact with this stuff? Do you have to go buy a lot of NFTs? No, I don't think so at all. Why would you have to do that? Yeah. The world's fine. <laughs> yeah. The world is completely fine. Like, do you, do you buy stocks? Do you buy other things? If you don't do that, then definitely don't do it, <laughs> right? If you like to invest in other other things, other companies, then maybe dabble in it if you want. Mm-hmm. Enough that you can afford to completely lose it, right? That's number one. But from a consumer standpoint, I don't think you have to interact with it at all. Right. From a business and brand standpoint, I think you're not completely thinking clearly if you're not at least dabbling in this space as consumers jump onto the other side, right? So if you are a business owner or brand owner or any of that stuff, it's the way consumers will pivot and evolve over time. Mm. So they will, again, 99, tomorrow I'll be 98, 97, 97. One day it's going to be 50-50 and you've only built your ecosystem here yeah. and you don't interact with the Web3 space at all. And 50% of your, your customers just shifted over to the Web3 space. So is it smart to integrate this now? I think so, right? At, at Physio Room, we didn't start Instagram until 2015. It, I think it started in 2008, I believe. Maybe maybe even sooner. I don't yeah. actually know the date. But that's seven years. And I think if we started earlier, we probably would have capitalized on that a lot. Yeah. Right? So... See, I was a very stubborn entrepreneur at that time. I was in the earlier days. Like, mm. nah, who needs that? Social media, are you kidding me? Yeah, <laughs> like, nobody's looking at that. Yeah. yeah. Now you realize, if as a business, if you're not on social media, then you just don't exist. Yeah. Not in the world that exists today. As a consumer, you don't have to do that. Yeah. You're not going to know what's happening around you very well. But from a business standpoint, I think it's very challenging to completely say, you know what? I'm not going to interact with social media. Yeah. Okay, then how are people going to find you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. People aren't looking at a website anymore. They're looking for your social media. Yeah, absolutely. Because a website is static and old. The social media, in theory, is updated and current and will give you the information that you put out today. Yeah, and it's the funnel for your website. Yeah. Right? That's how you capture them into your website, right? So as much as I don't even... I hate social media. I like Every time I do a post, I'm like, I can't believe I'm doing this. Yeah. But it's like... I know I'm building a new company. Yeah. So it's an outlet for me to write and create and share my opinions on things because I know some people will consume it. If I'm completely off that, I think it's harder to to play in the space. So yeah, for sure. I from a business standpoint, I do think it's it's important to at least uh and not like rush to launch NFT collections, by the way. What I mean is like educate yourself on just the space. Yeah. What is cryptocurrency? Why does it matter? You know, what does it look like potentially in five years, 10 years? And then, you know, dabble into it. I I don't like anyone 
like doing things unless they've experienced it themselves. So I buy a lot of NFTs for sure. And I, you know, some are good, some are bad, but it's an experience thing. You're not, Mm -hmm. you know, some are terrible (laughs) and some work up better than others. But if I don't experience the highs and lows of something, then, then I'm not going to be able to, to, you know, interact with it very well Mm -hmm. in the future. Right. So, Mm -hmm. so crazy. Well, let's talk about the future. Let's talk about the odd future. (laughs) because <laughs> the future is going to be odd future yeah, yeah. tell so, us about that so this is the evolution this is your new your new business your new project yep uh which shocked my wife actually um i didn't think i would ever start a business uh at my age i'm 39 this year turning 40 next year but i i mean i've been in business for so long and i think the last two three years were really challenging for me from a philosophical standpoint uh, in the sense that I, I really do believe that the the world can be a better place and uh, humans, we can get more out of people in the right ways if we had the right infrastructure to support it, right? I'm not an output guy. I'm always an input guy. Mm. But if you don't have the inputs, you'll never get the outputs. So we're going to always try to like like solve things with old technology. You're not going to get the output you desire, which is more equitable future for everybody, which is equality, which is no more social issues, no more racism, no more. I don't think that'll ever put, like completely be wiped out because we interact with this world where it's kind of fake, mm. right? That's why I hate social media. I, I post, I never surf on social. Like I never look at things because yeah. I think it's like poisonous. <laughs> um, the only thing I look at basketball highlights (laughs) but even that though yeah it's only the highlights that come to my feed totally yeah what about the highlight that happened in the small city somewhere probably a better highlight but because it gets less engagement it's not going to come to my feed right i don't like that yeah yeah i want to see that one too yeah yeah but it's always brooklyn nets or steph curry yeah it's true though it's a lot of steph curry highlights oh man lately yeah and I love Steph Curry, but you get the point. It's it's all <clears throat> algorithmically filtered into mm-hmm. my my brain. So I choose my like I try really hard to not interact with social platforms unless I'm posting myself. Yeah. Right. So yeah, I, I do think the this new company uh, I started with my partner Larry, who's uh, also, uh, my detox alumni, uh, he currently still works there as an interim head of marketing, but we both had this, you know, we both spent a lot of time in businesses and spent a lot of time managing and, and leading organizations and people and a lot of conversations around, um, you know, maybe we can do things differently, not necessarily better. I always say it's not, we don't know if it's better. Yeah. We just know it's different. And I've kind of just on a personal level reached a point where I don't love the way the world is as it currently stands. So I'm open to exploring a different option. Mm. I'm not saying it's better. I don't know, but I don't love where it is right now. So I choose to not interact with it as much as maybe some other people do. But me and Larry kind of came together and we're like, you know what, let's, let's buy a bunch of NFTs see where that kind of takes us. One thing led to another. We got really deep in the space, obviously. Yeah. Uh, and again, a lot of it was less on the technology side, more so the human behavior side. Yeah, yeah. We just watched how like 
people interacted with this stuff like wow like supply demand hype like all the things that businesses do constantly day to day right uh and we're like you know what let's build a company number one to educate people right because again we're not experts and we never claim to be experts in this space mm. nfts is what brought us into the space we both dabbled in crypto a little bit earlier but we're not experts in the space but we have a lot of experience in business and human relationships and this technology and the new kind of digital blockchain stuff will allow us to create maybe a better environment for staff for community for things that everyone wants to do from a business lens yeah so we decided to go uh, specifically towards brands we always think brands are the conduit for culture because they are the conduit for culture, right? It's funny, I, I think I talked to Zach about this. Like, imagine if Nike decided that. <laughs> I remember saying that to you. Yeah. But it's true. It's like, if Nike decided that you had to buy an NFT just to buy their sneakers, just to get their sneakers, yeah. then imagine how, how many people are going to learn NFTs now. Yeah. Because they don't care about the NFT, they care about the sneaker. Yeah. <laughs> because they love the brand so much. Yeah. So brands are the conduit for culture. They control and for influence sure. culture. Yeah. Right. So we know that if we really want to be like uh, serious about this this business and serious about uh, implementing this 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 technology in the world, the 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 first step is to go through brands because they can kind of control the way people interact from a commerce level. Mm. So our first target is going to be let's help brands understand this technology and let's help brands integrate Web3 into their ecosystems yeah. to solve existing problems, not to solve new problems. We're not telling you to do like metaverse stuff. No, no, no. Let's build community. Yeah, yeah. Let's value your loyal customers. What about referrals? What about memberships? All these things are just simple business, traditional business, nothing fancy. We're going to use NFTs to do that. Yeah. Right. Um, and then in the future, uh, hopefully building tools that can assist businesses in um, implementing this technology in their ecosystems because mm. it is clunky. Right. We're even seeing NFTs as crowdfunding, like it's the new Kickstarter in a lot of ways. Yeah, 100%. Right. Because again, traditional finance is traditional finance. You do seed rounds, you do series A, series B, series, you know, all this finance stuff. Yeah. And it's clunky. It's like venture capital. You get to bring in venture capitalists and, you know, they, they get a number of shares. You get capital and inject capital in the business. A lot of dilution. You have a board. Like it gets clunky very fast. Yep. Right. Yeah more 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 right not to say that's bad because that was the way yeah, exactly yeah 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 <laughs> right it's all businesses that I, do, I and i've been part of businesses where you need capital mm -hmm. and you need to you need to fundraise and that's okay yeah. but we're just looking at it like wow there's like an interesting way to approach it yeah well it's like what you're saying earlier it's it's not better or we're, we we don't know yet but it's different. it's different so like let's experiment let's see let's experiment yeah right? and that's that's the fascinating side. We're still learning. Obviously, yeah. we have a lot of, a lot of interesting uh, projects that we we've been building uh, for the new year. Um, 
but who knows right it's to me it's just fun that's i love awesome. i love startup life it's <laughs> that's <laughs> starting something brand new so yeah i love it well i think that's a nice place to to land this rocket ship um i i hope that you know those listening um you know maybe this will be a place where you can start to explore your web three adventure and your nft adventures and and just explore it and see you can observe it from the outside you can you know dip your toes in and and see what the water feels like see what the temperature is and um you know i i been listening to nick for a little bit and i i think that this is going to be a big part of our future and whenever um you know whenever you can kind of see what's ahead of you it's it's nice to kind of know the path a little bit totally and the last thing i'll say is it is so early yes right like very early and that's why it's hard to fully grasp yes because right now it is just you know not just but the majority of the stuff in the NFT space is art projects. Yeah. Uh, avatars, you know, like silly little JPEGs with a bit of code behind it. Yeah. So the applications of that doesn't make a lot of sense yet because the metaverse doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. It's not really. It's in its infancy stage. Totally, yeah. Right. So over time, people will realize as things become more interoperable, which means you can actually use these avatars in games and and different ecosystems and different metaverses that that becomes a little bit more interesting right Mm -hmm. if i purchased a nike pair of shoes that's an nft right now there's no use case for it not really right i think they partnered with roblox which allows them probably to use it in roblox but i can't take that to sandbox i can't take that to the 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 newest hottest game out there on the market i don't play games right now so i don't know what the hottest game is but you get the point, but it'd be kind of cool if I was slaying dragons with my Nikes. Like yes. that's kind of cool. Yes, <laughs> totally yes. right. But well, just like when they when the internet came out, people were like, "What is this? Like a catalog and on on some computer that I need to like <laughs> totally. use dial up to go?" Like nobody imagined that it would become commerce, that it become community, that it become social media. Like it was, uh, you know, you're like, "I've got this catalog that I can send you in the mail. Why would I do this yeah. on the computer?" And People I like, think I have a phone book. Yeah. What do I need the internet for? Yeah. Got the yellow pages. I've got some encyclopedias, you (laughs) know, but, uh, you know, we move forward as, as a society or we move, we're always moving. So I think, uh, there you go, you know, let's, let's continue to learn and and see where this goes. Awesome. Yeah. Well, that was, that was really good, Nick. Really appreciate you, uh, giving us your time, your wisdom, your wonderings. (laughs) Dina, you want to close it with our, our, our last question that we always ask all of our guests with? Yes. So so this is not like a, a NFT-related question, or is <laughs> it? it? I don't it know. Be, I don't know. Yeah, so every guest we have on, um, we ask this question. Obviously, we, we call the podcast A Little More Good. So we want to uh, see in the world and, and create and be part of. And so we're always curious when we have our guests on. What does that mean to you, Nick? A Little More Good. I mean, again, that's that's a very deep question. A little more good, um, but I, I number one, I love the name of the show because I, I do think like if everyone does a little bit, then together we can do a lot, and that is what we're trying to do with Odd Future. We're not trying to change the world ourselves. We're trying to teach people one step at a time. One, I used to say this thing at Mayo actually that. 
it's less about influence and more about impact, mm. right? And your job as a therapist is to impact that one person in front of you. And when you can impact that one person, they will impact another person. And you can imagine what that does, right? Or I can have a million followers and influence a whole bunch of people, but not impact a single person. And that's the way the world has shifted. So in, in like my own kind of a little more good vibe, that's where I, I, want, I want for the world and for people to just be more present in that very moment, that one person in front of you. If I'm with my kid, I'm with my kid. I'm, other than when Zach texts me, of course. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry, Luke. sorry but, Luca. Yeah, but you, you get the point. It's one person at a time, mm-hmm. one impact at a time, and together we can do so much with just a little more good each, yeah. each step. So That's awesome. I love that. Well, thank you, Nick. I appreciate you kind of paving the way for all of us uh, dinosaurs so that, uh, <laughs> you know, when the meteorite strikes, uh, we got somewhere to go. <laughs> yes. yes. Awesome. Well, thanks for having me. This was a lot of fun. Yeah, always enjoy having conversations with you guys. Likewise. Right. Appreciate thank, you. Thanks, Nick. Well, there you have it. Nick Lowe. Master of the Metaverse. Master of the Metaverse. I like that. Oh, man. That was wild. That was a good combo. Yeah, it's exciting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's definitely something that I want to like continue to learn more about. Yeah. And, you know, don't want to be uh, the last one to the dance, you know? It's true. I love Nick. I love the way that he, uh, he like, created this kind of life and career and profession of like helping people and healing and bringing, you know, getting people back into movement and all of this as part of like his story, right? He went through that experience of kind of getting back on his feet again from an injury. And, you know, most people like that's, that's what you would do. Like that's a great career and a great path trajectory. And for him, it was like, there was not a reason to abandon that or to leave it or anything, but just like this pursuit of like, he kind of has this curiosity of like, well, what about this? And what's next? And he's always kind of like looking and got his finger on the pulse of like what's coming. And I just think it's so cool and, you know, somewhat rare to find someone who is so open to just kind of keep exploring like these next evolutions of himself and like the world around him. And I really like that about, about Nick and, you know, this is this, this kind of this conversation that we had with him and how that chronicled these changes. And following his own belief and curiosity, like yes. he has this business, you know, that successful business where it's a, you know, a comfortable job to a degree, yeah, safe job. And anyone that's willing to like abandon safety for curiosity is amazing. Is amazing. Yeah. You know, yeah. I want to be with those people. Totally. Right. It's so intriguing and inspiring to just be like, wait, like what? Yeah. You kind of quote unquote had it all yes and you're like not that you're not satisfied but like you're just that wonder of like well what if or like what's outside of that or what if i just tried this i think a lot of us want that but not all of us like kind of go headlong into it the way takes a lot of gumption to you know take that step definitely into the unsure unsure waters you know yeah yeah well, for those that have listened and want to continue their Niklo journey, uh, where can where can they find him? Yeah, honestly, I mean, like we said, he's kind of got his hands in so many things. So your your best bet, I'd say, is just to check out Nick Lowe. 
on Instagram. So if you search Nick Lowe as one word with some underscores underneath, you'll find him. He's got a cool little like NFT kind of uh, profile. But underneath there, you'll find links to his uh, physio work at Myo Detox, his connection with Van Runco, one of some of our good pals at Van Runco, Day One Basketball, of course, Odd Future, which if you wanted to look them up, search on the Instagram uh, Future with a three instead of an E. So F-U-T-U-R-3 is odd. That's his odd future one. Then there's odd news, Lucky's NFT, and a few more other cool ones to check out, as well as that Discord. So it's all there under Nick Lowe. So give him a follow. He's a, he's a cool cat, and he's got uh, he's got lots of awesome stuff on yep. the go. Yep. All right, I think we'll have Nick on again in the future. Mm-hmm. Maybe him and Maurice can mm-hmm. uh, jam two Web3 wizards. That would be good. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. Yeah. Take care in the metaverse and in the real verse. <laughs> what's, the, what's the real verse? Like the universe? I guess so. <laughs> I just coined it now. All right. Peace. <laughs> Peace. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 